Welcome to Savvy Savage Podcast on Call-In. This is episode 116. FBI Director Marianne, former staffer, and more. Let's discuss the FBI Director testimony, Marianne's former staffer claim, and more. So there's there's a lot, a lot happened the past couple of days. So I was just like, I'll just put multiple things in the title and we can just go from there. All right. What do you guys think is happening here? Like, I'm going to bring in Ashura because Ashura, I see you're on the mic. You're first this time. What's going on, Ashura? Hey. Uh, I'd probably start with the Marianne first because that's the juicy one. Just got to fix that really quick. What's going on? I'm good. I'm good. I'll start with I'll start with the Marianne one because it's uh, it's much juicier because it feels like you guys have been vindicated. <laughs> Maybe that's why people were so mad at us. Yeah, well, they, they went. I, I would assume they would go quiet and not say shit and just apologize. I don't know. Like, do you feel other people are are other people addressing this issue? I'm I'm curious. I don't think so. I think most people who would be addressing the issue is probably RBN being the main culprit and anybody who doesn't like RBN. No, not yeah, no, anyone who basically supports, you know, uh, RBN. I think those are the people that I, I know people that a couple of people that watch you guys that normally are the ones calling their bullshit out. Yeah, this is just so bizarre to me. Like, it's like, again, um, what was interesting to me is that I saw that post on Facebook. I didn't do the screenshot. And then I went back and I checked on Facebook again. And then the next thing I know, it was gone. Like that was the same day, by the way. I saw it there one minute and the next minute I knew it was gone. Uh, JB and I were actually talking about this. And I was like, asked JB, I was like, do you think that maybe he got pressure or maybe he got in trouble? Like if he did sign an NDA or something like that, like who knows, right? Oh, I think it's definitely the, the NDA. That bullshit about, oh, Marianne doesn't do NDAs. And the people people went after Jimmy Dore for having an NDA. But they're silent about this one, huh? It's not uncommon to have an NDA in media, by the way. It's also not uncommon to have an NDA as as an, uh, a, a political candidate. So, but my thing is, is if you're going to call out Jimmy Dore for having an NDA when it's not unusual to have one in media, why aren't you calling out Marianne for having an NDA when it's not unusual to have one as a political, you know, uh, candidate? And I, I just, you know, there's just been so much like inconsistent inconsistency and it really makes people look some kind of way. And like, what if it turns out that like more people come forward with more information and then it just make you look some kind of way if, like, you were constantly defending her or backing her. Well, it's like I said in the chat when you said, where are all the people about this? And I, and I said in the chat, uh, Crystal and Kyle feel humiliated because they were stomping for this shit. And when and I believe CJ and Nick, when they're on the Dude Distance channel, they were talking about, uh, does Brianna Joy Gray know what's going on? Or uh, does she know about the grift? I'm pretty sure the only people who know about the grift are the people who started the grift. Well, Bree wasn't the one who asked her to run. Remember that? Yeah, I know. It was Crystal and Kyle. And, and I haven't seen shit about anything negative about uh, uh, Marianne on Kyle Kalinske's show other than the time where he lied to people when he was reading the article 
lied about the article but didn't put it up on the screen and just lied. That was the only time you saw him talk about Marianne. And I'm surprised she's at 10%. Isn't that sad, though, that, like, it's kind of like now they've become the very same media people that they criticize? But they've always been. I mean, Kyle Kalinske, like I told you before, he was never good. He was never. You said he was a leftist. I kept telling you he was not. Because during the Bernie Sanders run, I noticed there was a mask off moment when he told he was yelling at the video, telling Bernie Sanders to say he is a moderate. He's a moderate. Don't don't call yourself a leftist or a socialist. Call yourself the moderate. Say you're the moderate. You're gonna do the moderate position. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Telling him to go the moderate position. So that's when I knew, mask off. This guy was a moderate all along. He was a liberal, not a leftist. And Crystal I think, Ball? I think his ideas were more left before the Bernie campaigns, to be honest. Yeah, um, my most liberals, they appear left until you basically see that. Give them time and you'll see that they were never left. He was a, This guy was a liberal all along. And pros, he's pro-Democrat. I mean, if he's a leftist, Sabrina, why, don't, why doesn't he leave the Democrat Party? Why doesn't he go third party? Why does, why does he keep shitting on third parties? Mm. And, uh, yeah, and the Christopher Ray thing. Man, this guy looks like a total fucking idiot. <laughs> hey, that's the FBI director, guys. I mean, he's a fucking idiot. I mean, he's gonna, these guys are about law and order, and, and you get the courts, literally the courts basically exposing you you think people are gonna fucking just excuse that shit because you're at the fbi head no like i would be embarrassed like if it were me yeah i mean that that shit was funny you'd have matt gates running over like steamrolling you matt gates i know i was like how you let matt gates like 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 come at you in that way man you weren't prepared for this like the FBI. It's like, it's like Matt Gates was like, uh, if I had a fucking bug or an animal, I would say, well, Matt Gates was like a fucking cow to this guy. He chewed him up and then basically spewed him out and then chewed him again. You know how cows have four stomachs, right? They're never done digesting the food. That was what Matt Gates was doing to this motherfucker. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. I, I know for me, I just, I don't know, man. Like, I thought it was embarrassing. I wonder how many people like watched that and was like, wow, that's the director oh, of the FBI. Fox News is going to eat it up, but I'm like, somebody mentioned that Chris Ray was put there by Donald Trump. I wonder if Donald Trump's going to call him out. Probably. Give it time. <laughs> but but, but it people are going to say Trump put him there, though. Like, oh, wait, well, Donald Trump could say that, oh, I put everybody in there. They backstabbed me. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the fucking Ron DeSantis. If it wasn't for Ron DeSantis, um, what's his name? Andrew Gillum probably would have been governor if he didn't fuck his shit up. Yeah, no, that's that's true. But let's all remember what happened to Andrew Gillum too. So, what, you know, what is, he was, now? is he in prison now? Or some shit? I haven't heard of him. I mean, all. you know, he was going through his own stuff, so it's probably a good thing that he didn't have to take on the responsibility as governor as well because he was already going through a lot of like personal issues you know i mean it would have been nice i would have loved to basically hear uh, some kind of news about the governor with with a stripper and some crack cocaine on the floor <laughs> <laughs> he was making it rain 
Yeah, man, God, that shit was funny. And then he was secretly gay all along. I'm like, how long have you been married? Didn't your wife figure it out that you, <laughs> you were gay? Well, when they did the interview, because um, actually, oh, I forget her name. I forget the woman's name. Um, black woman. She had just had a baby recently. I forget her name. Shit. But she interviewed both of them. Um, him and his wife together and she did ask like were you surprised did you know or whatever and his wife said that she knew that he was bisexual so i thought he was gay what why are they using bisexual now he, he, he said, said he, he said in, he said in the interview he was bisexual mm, so i read gay okay but whatever i mean if they're still married yeah, that was probably before the interview, though, because I, I remember reading those articles, too. But after he had the sit down interview, he said that he was bisexual. And yes, his wife knew that he was bisexual. So. Yeah. So, man, how, how much do you think uh, before Marianne's going to last, like before the primary shows up, like you think she'll be there'll be more people coming after her or coming out? Because how the fuck do you have a campaign but no ground game? She'll last long enough to sell that book. That book comes out in September. Oh, it's right around the corner, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guess I guess uh, her, Marianne, and Kyle are going to basically split the money on that book. And the book is called, like, um, The Mythical Jesus? I'm like, bitch, you are the mythical Jesus. <laughs> it's you. You're the female Jesus right there. All that fucking cookie cutter shit, like oh my god, the cold, the crystals and bullshit. I'm like, how, how do we basically buy this woman as some kind of leader of the left when you hear her talk? And she didn't even answer the goddamn question. They got they asked her a question, what are you gonna do about it? And he just basically railed on. And she has a thing though; she likes to talk about like these slave owner presidents. Like, why are you bringing up these slave owner presidents for? Gonna, okay, gonna Ash- okay, Ashera, right? That's why I said, like, even tonight, that's why I was like, I would not quote Thomas Jefferson. You're supposed to be a left leftist. I would not be over here quoting Thomas Jefferson, boo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she does that a lot. She quotes every fucking white president, white racist president. I'm like, why are you doing that? You go to the black community, you're going to say those names? Mm-mm. Nobody's going to give a fuck. Especially that one. Yeah. You got you got that. And and then you have uh, Marianne. Uh, she can't answer the question. She never answers the question. Why she got to be so long-winded? And when she's long-winded, they're not even ask. They're not even answering the question itself. Uh, Ron, <laughs> I, I would say the Ron DeSantis thing right now, or it, it's not, it, it's over. I thought Ron DeSantis was going to be VP for Donald Trump. I don't know who's going to be the new Donald Trump, the new VP. Mike Pence is done. I would. I'm surprised that people are challenging Donald Trump. You would think he would have had an, an open fucking red carpet for him running as president. Isn't that that thing? Because so one of the reasons I think they're challenging him is because he lost re-election. Yeah, yeah so that's, that's what I was. Thinking. Yes, that's yeah. what I was thinking. So if he won, he was going for 2024 as the second term. Nobody would have done anything. Hmm. He uh, wouldn't be able to run in 2024 if he ran if he won. Okay. Yeah, because in the U.S. you can only do two consecutive terms. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, if he had won, because we're going in 2024, this that would be his second term if he had, you know. Oh wait. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're, you're right. You're right. You're right. He lost. Yeah. So, 
I mean, but the thing is, though, like, honestly, just to keep it real, you know, he lost. So they kind of saw that as open lane. Like, hey, maybe this is my shot. Nikki Haley been waiting for a while. I know it. So like, hey, this is my shot. I can finally, you know, run for president because Trump's out the picture. And then the other thing is, too, um, the legal issues. I think they probably saw, well, Trump, even if he does, even though he is running, the legal issues that are coming up, I still probably got a shot. But uh, the legal issues are actually making him more popular. I don't I don't get this woman. She's running at 1%. Who the fuck wants you? Nobody. I told you guys Nikki Haley is not popular. I don't know what she was thinking. No, no. You, it, it'll probably be a row of, of men in the Republican Party. Ron DeSantis. The Ron DeSantis shit, like, that, that shit was fucking funny when I saw the ad. I'm like, yo, techno? You need some <laughs> techno? Who the fuck's gonna listen to that shit? Like, ain't nobody's gonna dance to techno nowadays. I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, who the fuck is this for? It looked like it was something that you would have seen like in the nineties. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, that was the that was the era for that shit. Yep. Yep. I'm like, I don't know who made that campaign, but like showing like bodybuilder men and stuff like that. Like Ron DeSantis don't look like that. How you gonna show me a picture of like someone that has an Arnold Schwarzenegger type body and then you're gonna apply that to Ron DeSantis? Like, what are they trying to do? I'm like, well, this I, is I've, like, I've heard I've heard that I've heard that I've seen people do that shit on Trump on Twitter as a meme. Like they put his head on Superman's body. I've had him do that. I've seen them, but Ron DeSantis. Oh come on! It's it's it, it, I I do think that the MSNBC had a good line. D thirsty. I mean, I I was laughing when I heard that <laughs> shit. I'm the first time MSNBC made me laugh. D thirsty. D thirsty. Yeah, that was kind of funny. I think that um. I think the thing is, though, what was really interesting is the fact that Republican voters in Florida are favoring Donald Trump over Ron DeSantis. And I think that's pretty interesting because that is his state. And I thought, you know, everybody says, oh, he's done such a great job here in Florida. Really? Uh, apparently not so much. <laughs> well, Ron, Ron forget, he forgot that it was Donald Trump who gave him that state. Like It was Donald Trump that basically ran out and basically made him the governor. You forgot that. And then you're going to go after Donald Trump. You're going to shit on the guy that basically put you in the state. And that's why Donald Trump called him out. Well, you can't make the voters. You know what it is? Like, he's trying to basically, like, split, like, the MAGA vote. Like, how are you going to make them choose between you and, and Trump when Trump was the one who got you where you are? Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. It's like Jimmy Dore says this all the time. When, when I think when the Democrats were running, he was like, how are you going to out-Trump Trump? You don't out-Trump Trump. <laughs> and then the idea let me run to the right of donald trump like look dude even donald trump knew there was only so far you go uh, i don't yeah. know I, I don't know if he knew it was that far i'm pretty sure donald trump was like mm, i could go far right and talk about that shit but his team is like no 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 no. focus right now focus right now what donald trump what what uh joe biden is doing he's the one fucking the economy Everyone said that if you got reelected, it would have been you that was going to fuck up everything. Guess, guess who guess who fucked it up? Joe Biden. But Donald Trump ran on the economy in 2016, too. Yeah. Well, people will say that when, Democrat, when Republicans are around, they get a little bit money, even though the Dem Republicans are not really going to 
raise the minimum wage that much. But when the Democrats are there, the, the, the minimum wage just is stagnant. I mean, at this point, why are people still talking about $15 minimum wage? I mean, it's been, what, uh, 2016, 2027 years? You might want to increase that number. Go beyond $15. Don't even go 25 Go past $35, $30. Yeah. It's not even a big deal anymore, to be honest. Like, now when you say $15 minimum wage, it's just like, um, okay. Been there, done yeah, even, that. Even $25 is like, new. man. Even $25 is mad for me. Like, it, it, you, you haven't had a decent wage since the 80s. People need to look at that cost of living report that just came out this year, and they need to use that as their reference. You might want to say, this is what. Jimmy. I'm surprised. When you did that video, I was surprised. Every state says, this is what how you, you got what you have to make around the hour to basically, if you're not like a PMC person, to basically get a living wage. And I'm like, what's the highest number? And just use that as the minimum wage that you want. Right. Right. And that's why I said even the hotel workers in California that are asking for a $5 raise, that's still not enough. Like, because if they're making 20 to $25 an hour, what they really should be asking for is that $42 and 25 cents. Yeah. Cause uh, Molly just asked me, what is the minimum wage in Canada? As of right now, I think the, Somebody who's a cleaner is making seven twenty, but it depends what you're doing. Like the cleaners are getting paid seven twenty right now, but if you're doing like uh, security, that's where the real money is. Some people get twenty twenty dollars, but if you're basically doing a cleaner at the hospital, you'll get way more than that. Like seventeen dollars just just now. I know a guy that was basically said he was working at a hospital a couple of years ago. And that was before the $15 minimum wage in Canada started. He was working at 18 bucks at a hospital. That was like 20, what, 2016, I believe. Mm, I have a friend who was a nurse in Florida. I don't think, I think, I think they moved. I have to double check, but she was a nurse in Florida and they were paying her a couple years ago, $15 an hour as a nurse. Isn't that crazy? Like as an RN? Yeah, uh, the, the minimum wage in Canada right now is sixteen sixty-five. No, I know. I, I tell you, I, I told, like I said, uh, Eric. Depends. Plus, they're, they they got unions. You got the what? What the fuck? Their name? You told no, me but that? I mean the the official legal minimum wage is like sixteen sixty-five. Well, depends. According... Depends, on the, depends on the region you live in. You got Ontario. You got Quebec. Well, this is federal. Well, the federal they put it at like. Like I said, the cleaners. Well, I'm, I'm looking at the Government of Canada website right now. Well, I got says, some, Federal I got minimum wage rising to 1665 or rose to 1665 on April 1st. Of this well, year. I got some cleaners that are working in a building owned by the government. They're getting paid 1720. Wait, Eric, is that Sounds like something going on? Is that CAD? Or yeah, that's Canadian dollars. Okay. It would be Canadian dollars because this is the Government of Canada site. Okay, so what is that in reference to you? Let me see. U.S. Oh, real dollars? <laughs> it's pretty close. They're, they're, they're... Throw these up. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was funny. That was but, funny. <laughs> but I, I think what's what's the Canadian dollar riding at right now? Sure, maybe like uh, like I said. 
based on what your what what your what your job is, if you're doing security, you're getting paid way more because it seems like security they go beyond what the cleaners are getting. Uh, if you're going at McDonald's, they'll probably put a price at sixteen, but cleaners will make you pay more. If you play security, you'll get way more than security than, than the other guys. So it all depends. But it sounds like they got a lot better national minimum wage than the U.S. does, anyways. Yeah, but they're they're the same shit as the U.S. Like I'm pretty sure wage also were stagnant. Like why are we still doing fifteen, sixteen dollars minimum wage? Yeah, it's just kind of amazing that um, that the U.S. can be at uh, <laughs> at seven something. It's just. It basically yeah. means like no yeah, minimum wage. I wonder how much money has the the U.S. oligarchs made ever since they basically stopped <laughs> increasing your wages. So, sure. Did you see the the first can- the the interview at the beginning of the show with the presidential candidate? Oh, uh, the woman. Yeah. yeah, she said something that was like, mm. she, she she used a new uh, word Jasmine, for homelessness. Yeah, Jasmine she used a word Sherman. for homelessness. I'm like, just say homelessness. Why get invent a new word for homelessness? Oh, what'd she say? She, she said some word instead of saying someone that was homeless, but she invented a new word. I'm like, wait, is that is that even a thing? Houseless. No, she she said some word. I'm just yeah. saying, just displaced? say homeless. No, it wasn't displaced. It, it, she used the same words as homelessness, but then she added some couple of words in there, and I'm like, is this how these PMCs talk these days? They gotta invent new words. Just say homelessness. She was an interesting one. Yeah, what did she, you think, she, Sabrina? <laughs> she was interesting. Um, she lost me on the death penalty, man. I was like, what? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> don't like killing people. Sorry. Yeah, I'm like. I mean, I, I think her angle, like, like to, 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 in her defense, what is, is I think part of the angle was like a public safety angle. I guess that these people are too dangerous to to have in the society but i i you know i of course don't buy into it and i mean you're never going to have a perfect justice system so if you don't have a perfect justice system you can't have it kill people i mean it's pretty simple in my book but well she did say something about she's not gonna I think she said she was going after like uh, social security some shit like that i'm like come on really? oh and just and just one more thing on the death penalty part is is she she framed it as like a deterrence and that that's a very kind of retrograde kind of regressive kind of conservative thinking, you know, anyone who really knows like criminal justice and, and things like it, it doesn't work as a deterrent. Like, like that's not a real thing. That's a, I don't know that's what that she is. lost me because she's for abolishing the police and, and getting rid of the prisons, but she was for the death penalty. That's why I was like, you know, in my mind, I was thinking that doesn't make any sense. Most people who are prison abolitionists are not, they're not going to be in favor of the death, death penalty. Yeah. Did you want to go to another point, Ashura? Uh-oh. Ashura, I think you muted yourself. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you meant I did. to. I had there to answer go. something. Uh, no, I think I'm done. I'm just going to let the lies. Oh, is it Steven? Yeah, I'm going to let Steven in. Right, good good talk. It was entertaining tonight. There you go. <laughs> All the right, point. let's... You should probably uh, you should probably start your new uh, intro with the Ron DeSantis one. <laughs> <laughs> Replace the Doobie Doobie Doo with the Ron DeSantis music. I was like, dum, dude, dum. What's, what's up with this 1992 ad? <laughs> okay, let's bring in Steven. What's going on, Steven? Just gotta unmute. 
All right. Hello. Hey, how's it going? How's everything going this evening? Nick on uh, Glenn Greenwald's show earlier tonight. So what's your take on all of this, Stephen? Yeah, can you hear me? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yep, yep, okay. Yeah, good, good. Uh, Name a subject, I'll give you an opinion. So what's your take on all the, a lot has happened this week. So you guys feel free to discuss whatever <laughs> has happened this week. Um, I should have done a call in Tuesday night, but I couldn't cause I had other, other plans, but um, it's just been yep. a very interesting, what, what do you think about this whole issue with the FBI director? No, oh, I think that guy is a company man. He's a company man for the duopoly. You know, he's, uh, you know, he and Matt Gates. Yeah, he tore up. He tore him a new asshole. But I got to tell you, that was nothing but a dog and pony show for me. You just sit there and you go, you know, these guys just they they're not serious about asking questions. They really aren't. They really aren't. They don't know how to dig. And, uh, you know, this whole Hunter Biden thing and 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 the cocaine thing. Everybody's saying, oh, it couldn't possibly be Hunter's cocaine. Oh, yeah, right. Really? Yeah, who, who, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, think about it. Who's gonna, who's, who would have the balls to bring cocaine into the White House with all that security? A civilian is always followed around by somebody in the White House. When they're in, you know, nobody from outside of the staff and the family and the uh, uh, whatever you want to call them, the the secretaries, you know, as in uh, cabinet secretaries, you know, everybody else is followed around. You can't, no possible way for you to be alone unless you're in the commode. So it's bullshit. Um Kamal do I think looks yeah, pretty, I think, uh, pretty, Kamal looks pretty out there sometimes. I don't know. Just saying. No, like I didn't, uh, I really do think they're really trying to cover for Hunter Biden. And it's, it's funny when I talked to, oh my God, Judge Joe Brown, he was a trip. So when I talked to Judge great. Brown, he was, was great. Funny to me. He said he brought that crackhead up in the White House and. <laughs> Oh yeah, no All that right. that man rocked. I was like, I was, I oh, man, I was like, damn, he's good. You know, I never listened. I don't listen to those court, you know, those court shows. Never really liked it, uh, liked them that much. But boy, he was on fire um, when he was talking to you. I'm telling you. <laughs> My parents watched those shows, Stephen. My parents watched Judge Joe Brown. They watched Judge Mathis. They watched Judge Judy. Like, I don't know. Um, but they they loved watching that stuff. But I think that um, the thing that was was really interesting to me is the fact that everyone's just pretending like, by the way, that story just went away. Everyone's just pretending like, oh, gee, I wonder where this came from. Like, you don't think it could be the guy who was here, who was <laughs> who was doing crack, who was actually there at the White House, you know, in the way the media tried to cover up for it. It was just it's so embarrassing. It really is just like, 
everybody sees the problem. Everybody sees like Joe Biden obviously is not all there. Everyone sees that like we put two and two together and say, okay, that that crack probably belonged to Hunter Biden. And to see like the media just sit up there and talk around it and be like, we don't know. Uh, you'll have to talk to the Secret Service. Like the Secret Service is going to come forward and say, oh yeah, we found out it belonged to Hunter Biden. What a mess. Maybe ask uh, Christopher Ray. Yeah, and the thing is, is, you know, they're lying their ass off because I'm sure that, I'm sure that cocaine wasn't kept I'm sure the cocaine. I'm sure the cocaine kept in a in a cloth bag. It was kept in a plastic bag. And you're telling me you couldn't get a fingerprint off a plastic bag? Oh no, the cocaine was smart enough. Cocaine there. Come on, what a bunch of putzes. <laughs> anyway, you, you think, I mean, think about it. They they know they they. they here, you're telling me that you couldn't pick up a fingerprint off a plastic baggie? Come on. Give me a break. But, you know. Um, Anything to protect. I'll tell you right now. Him. I'm going to tell you right now, if Biden somehow makes the makes the Democrat nomination, I'm going to tell you right now, Trump's winning. He's going to win. And it ain't even going to be close. There'll be there'll be there'll be a couple states that um, that would never vote Republican that have a good shot at it. Um, you know, Hampshire and uh, Minnesota. Okay, I'm telling you right now. If, you know, the Democrats if they if they want to win, they're going to have to get rid of Biden. I don't know how they're going to do it. You know, because New, New Hampshire used to be a swing state. Yep. Yep, it's a it's definitely a Democrat lean state, um, but you know it's like it's like a seven pointer, you know, seven eight points, whatever. Uh, basically, if if the if the Republican candidate, whoever it is, uh, improves from Trump's twenty twenty um, vote uh, percentage by five points, you've just won New Hampshire and you just won Minnesota. That ain't that far of a reach with the way Joe Biden is right now. I mean, the man can't walk. You know, he he he, he can't walk. He can't talk. How long do you think they, they can keep this up for a year and a half? Or okay, a year and four months. What the hell? That's crazy. That's insane. No, someone's figured. They're figuring out a way. You know. Uh, pardon my French, but I, I, I really have thought that uh, Joe Biden was he's cock blocking for somebody and I don't know who it is. Mm-hmm. And that's what I that's what I think. Um, you know, um, everybody thinks I'm cr- not crazy, but I've heard people talk about Michelle Obama and everybody says that's crazy. She hates politics. I don't know. I don't know. She 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 started she wrote a book and that came out last fall and she started some community outreach thing um, last year, just like her husband did in 2007, a book and community outreach did the same thing Mm -hmm. as her husband did. Now, you're telling me that she's not thinking about running. Why bother? Why bother with the community outreach program? A, a book, a, a book alone, 
you know, okay, she wrote a book, but she starts a community outreach organization two years before the, uh, the election. Come on. So I, I, I think that's, I think that's my, that's my gut telling me is goes, will be consistent. I think, I think, um, they're planning on having Michelle run. I really do. Michelle Obama? Yeah. You really do think so? Yeah. I'm, the, oh, the, the only, the only reason that I think so is why would she open up, start a community outreach program? Why? At her age? Give me a break. She wrote, she, like her husband, she writes a book just before running for office, before he ran for office. He starts a community outreach program just before he ran for office. And she just did the same thing last, last year. Okay. She wants to make some money, write a book. Okay. Fine. But the community outreach thing, that gets me wondering. Okay. If Michelle, so. if they get Michelle Obama to do it, then you guys know that they're really desperate. And the reason why I say that is because Michelle Obama hates politics. Oh, yeah, like, you're right. She had such a bad experience from it, uh, being a part of the whole um, Jesse Jackson campaign that that happened. So I, I don't know if everybody is I probably should have been a little bit more vocal. I don't know if everyone is aware of that. But uh, she was friends with Jesse Jackson's daughter, like when she was growing up. And so okay. she saw a lot of the the strain that happened to the family in reference to Jesse Jackson's campaign. And so because what she saw from that, she had made a decision early on that she never wanted to be a part of politics. She just wanted to be a corporate lawyer and just do her thing. Right. Well, enter Barack Obama. So when Barack said that he wanted to run for office, even just when he mentioned he wanted to run for local office, she didn't like it. Oh yeah. I heard about that. They convinced her to do it. You guys know, you know, they're desperate and you know, they're really trying to stop any type of progress. And I'll tell you right now, she won't win. See what a lot of people don't realize. Okay. Everybody talks about Hillary not being likable. You damn right. She wasn't likable. But that's not why she lost. Okay. And I know, Sabby, you've been around these characters. I say characters, but these type of people. White collar. I mean, not white collar. White, blue collar union guys. Okay. From Pennsylvania, from Michigan, from Wisconsin. They don't, they ain't voting for a woman. They're never going to vote for a woman, not not like they normally would vote for a man. Okay, that's why Hillary lost. You take a look. You, you take a look between 2016 and 2020. You plug the numbers in. You'll see, you, you know from what Biden got, where Trump got. You want to you got to talk percentages, but yeah, there's a few thousand guys in Wisconsin and in. Michigan and in Pennsylvania that <laughs> I ain't voting for no woman. So well, I don't I don't think it helped that she she ignored Wisconsin you know, I, and Michigan. Yeah, I got yeah, you. She ignored those people. Like that's that's ridiculous. You know? No, I, I, mean, I agree. 
But that's why I tell you that Hillary, I think she really just thought it was handed to her, right? And you know why I say that is because why would you ignore the Rust Belt knowing that even your husband campaigned heavily in the Rust Belt? I think he told her to go. I think I read somewhere he told her to go out there and she didn't. Yeah, because, you know, Miss Know-It-All. He told her to go out there and then she told him where to go. Like you know, that's that's that hap- that's happened for all of their marriage. Now, who was running anyway. that relationship? Let me know. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, Ray Ray is a putz. He's just a company man for the duopoly. Um, I think you know Michelle is. I think Biden is cock blocking for Michelle because who else would he be cock blocking for? Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom. Gretchen Whitmer. Gavin Newsom. You got to be kidding me. I don't believe they that. Keep, they keep mentioning Gavin Newsom. Also, I think Gavin Newsom would lose as well because California is doing so bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, an idiot. Uh, the, 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 worst Republican, the, the worst Republican could run a campaign. All you got to do is, you know, here, here's videos of Gavin Newsom's California. Look at all the feces on the, on the streets. Look at the drug needles or, you know, the, whatever you call them. Hypodermic needles. Not Look at all that. that but he, they don't even want to pay people pay people a living wage in California. I told you guys what oh, you're no. supposed to be making. Oh no! There. Yeah, you know what? You really had. You, you, I really would like to thank you. Um, that um, that website about you know what you have to make to to live in a two bedroom or a one bedroom home. That was really eye opening. I got to tell you, that was eye opening. Um. I give the shout out the cred to Roger Meadows because he was the one that told me about it last year. So the first time yeah. I did it was last year. But had it yeah. not been for Roger, I had never heard of that site before Roger yeah. told me. Yeah, no, it's just, just I, that's that that's that's eye opening. And the thing is, is you got them gals out in uh, well, probably there's some men in there, but the the housekeepers in Los Angeles on strike. And there's people, you know, I read, so, oh, they're making $25 an hour and they're striking. Yeah, well, look at how much it costs to live out there, you dumb shit. Jesus. There ain't, ain't nothing in California. Hell, my friend is a lawyer in California. And she, I, I found out like a year or two ago, that house that they live in, they rent. Like, I I thought they owned that house. I thought they bought that house. And she said, no, she said, we can't afford to buy a house here in California. And she don't even live in LA. She lives in Irvine, California, which is, she said it's more affordable. It's one of the places you can live in the OC that's a little bit more affordable compared to yeah. like places like Newport and stuff. But you gotta be says, making Jimmy Dore money to live in California and have a house. Yeah, no, seriously, you really do. Because like, like I said, she's a lawyer, she's an attorney, she's very smart and she's been out there a couple of years, but she moved there from North Carolina and she always wanted to live in California, so she loves it there. But she said she knows that she could just move back home to North Carolina and she could own her house, you know? Well, I was I, I dabbled in the mortgage business um, in the late 90s. Uh, my brother was a mortgage broker in uh, Phoenix, and um, he started a new office. And he was having a problem getting people to produce, you know, loans. I says, well, I ain't doing much. Why don't I go out there and I'll, I'll start up some loans. I didn't know the mortgage business for squat. 
he told me what the business was about. In three weeks, I closed my first loan. But the one thing I'll never forget is some guy came in, you know, uh, lender came in with a loan program for a fifth, uh, was, no, I'm sorry, a 40-year mortgage. I'm like, a 40-year mortgage? Oh, yeah, it's the, all the rage in California. I'm like, yeah, I suppose it would be. Even back then, it was so damn expensive. Forty-year mortgage. I thought thirty was the was the top. Uh uh-uh. uh uh uh. Thirty is the top for your standard. Um, oh, what do you call it? Uh, vanilla. I'll call it vanilla. Your vanilla loans. Your standard loans. Yeah, thirty is is the top. But there were lenders out there. I mean, and they had some great starting rates. Forty-year mortgages. Primarily in California. But, uh, yeah, I was out in Phoenix. You know, that's where my brother had his business. And evidently, Arizona didn't have a problem with 40-year mortgages because they were trying to sell us to, you know, sell people on 40-year mortgages. And um, and um, make the rules. Yeah, well, and just uh, just a, for people with a little perspective, okay, yeah, times have been a little rough over the last year or so for a lot of people. But I want to give you some comparisons, and and only because I was in the mortgage business <laughs> that I remember this. Um, let's go back to 2000, 20, 23 years ago, okay? Mortgage rates were about 7 to 8%. What are the mortgage rates now? Huh. Seven percent to eight percent, yeah. What was the unemployment rate in two thousand? Four percent. What's our unemployment rate? Three point seven. What were the, what was the Fed funds rate in relationship to inflation in two thousand? It was about a half a point higher than the rate of inflation. Today in twenty twenty three, it's about a half a point higher than the rate of inflation. What was the core rate of inflation in 2000? 3.8%. I mean, I mean, sorry. Uh, it was 4% or something like that. I forgot that number, damn it. But the historical core inflation is 3.8%. Well, our core inflation right now is 4.8%. Okay. What it is, is everybody got so used because when that damn, when, when, when all those, Bankers stole all that money from us in 2008, you know, and every, you know, printed all the money up, lowered the interest rates. You know, we've been living like that for 15 years. I'm amazed, but how, what did they do to make that last 15 years? They printed money like crazy. Okay, so we're in no worse shape. And people back around, you know, when Bill Clinton, this is, you know, when Bill Clinton was president. People loved it. The country was doing good. People were happy with Clinton. He left office with a 60% approval rating for, you know, forget the Monica thing, you know. He also increased the minimum wage and balanced the budget. Yep, he sure did. So, 
you know, in a lot of the numbers, we're in a lot of the numbers, we're we're right there where they were in two thousand, and nobody was talking about you know the world crashing. Okay, but there are some there are some things. One, the government's got to taper down their spending, or or realign themselves, raise some taxes. Okay, cut some programs that aren't necessary. They got to get the spending down because the inflation will light up again if they keep printing money like this. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know some, you know some of those defense contractors, eh, they might be part of the homeless, you know, <laughs> brigade. Um, if everybody did the right thing, we're spending way too much money on defense. Okay, who's going can you know ask this question? What army? What navy? Okay, is going to invade the United States? You tell me. There isn't one. Okay, it'll never happen. Not big enough. So we Not don't. Need, we don't. We don't. We don't need to spend a trillion dollars on defense. Uh, should we keep our nuclear, um, you know, stuff up because the other guys got nuclear? Yeah, but we don't need to spend anywhere near the money in defense. But the other thing that's scary is because we got three thirty-two trillion dollars, okay, thirty-two trillion dollars in debt, and you know we're 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 running two two trillion dollars in extra debt a year. Well, let's do the math. What is um what is um oh let's say what's three percent of uh thirty trillion dollars? Well, one percent is three is uh three hundred, so. 2% is 600, so 3% is 900. Almost a trillion dollars is what's going to cost us to just to pay the debt, interest on the debt, not even to pay it down, a trillion dollars. And that's because they played with the money, they printed all the money, the government spent the money, and guess who it really hurts in the long run? It hurts the poor and the working class, okay? Because... You know, the, 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 because of inflation, and uh, so anyway, I've, I've ranted on along. When, when we have inflation, does food stamps increase for people? Yes. Does it increase enough to cover inflation? Probably not. But there, you know, it's it's not legally, to the best of my knowledge. It's the rate is not legally tied to anything, but you know they normally go ahead and say, okay, here's the new uh, food stamp thing, uh, allotment per family or per person or whatever. But um, yeah. Um, I put the link in the chat to the uh, Out of Reach Project report. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I got it. Uh, good, good, um, good. Also, also, that's. So yeah, that that report's been coming out for like. Um, oh, that's Roger. Okay, hey Roger. Hey, how you doing? Uh, I would probably say more than a decade. I, I only caught on to it. I forgot like what year I caught on to it. Um, yeah. But here's the thing. That whole thing about inflation is caused by printing money. No, it's it's caused by greed. Because these guys are price gouging. Well, that's what printing money is. It's greed. Right. But they're going above 
the inflationary rate and hiding behind uh, uh, inflation, blaming it as the reason why they had to raise their rates. Because here's the thing. If it was all about we have to increase the, the rates and inflate prices to keep up with, you know, you know what they say causes inflation, then there is no way they would be profiting more than what they've already profited from. So that so what I'm saying is I give you a simple, a simple, just down to earth um, example, right? Something that all of us can identify with. I went to the um, 7-Eleven at JFK Airport, right? And I was going to buy the five for five chicken wings. They tried, they wanted to charge me $9 for it. I was like, y'all could kiss my ass. I'm not paying over $9 for these damn chicken wings, right? Somebody must have called it. Because I was just like, those things is $5. So if anything, with the inflation, it should be $7. Somebody must have complained, I don't know, to the state attorney general, James, or whatever the case is. I came back the next day and them things were $7. So my point is, they use inflation and those printing of money or whatever to, to go beyond the inflationary rate. This is just... They, they, oh, no, that, yeah, yeah, you're, you know, uh, yes, it, you're, you're right. What I'm saying is, let me finish by saying this. Yeah. So, if you want to cut down on inflation... It's not about printing money. It's about get your attorney generals to get on their ass and tell them to stop uh, going beyond the inflationary rate because you are not supposed to be. How is it inflation? But yet you making mad buku money. Okay. Mm. It's, it's the law enforcement that needs to get on their ass and be like, no, you're going way beyond what the inflationary rate is. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's similar because I, I, you know, I've lived through two hurricanes. Okay, in in North Carolina, Wilmington, and I'll tell you what. What's the first thing that happens? Well, they tr they tried it, and but the state attorney general said, "Uh, -uh. okay," and they they took uh, one guy to court. But when it, when when a hurricane happens, man, let me tell you, the price of generators doubles, and it ain't supposed to. And finally, the uh, attorney general of North Carolina cracked down on shit like that. But yeah, when you have a traumatic event, okay, um, you know, an economic, I'll call it a uh, hiccup, I don't care what the cause is, okay, they'll print that money out and everybody's going, oh, we got this inflation, so we're going to have to charge this much for that. Well, of course they're overcharging because nobody has a, what do you call it, the regular folks, working people. They're not going to sit there with a calculator and say, well, inflation's only 10%, so this thing that's a dollar yesterday is should be only be a dollar ten. No. The guy says, I need a buck and a quarter. Okay? Just, yeah. yeah. You, you, that's at, perfect. At the same time, I want to get away from this thing of, oh, they're, they're printing they're money. That's what's causing it. But it's really greed. No, 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 no. There, there's the, you, the, printing money. Printing money has a lot to do with it. It's not all of it, okay? Um, it, there, there's what there's demand driven. There's supply driven inflation. I guess it's demand pull, supply push. I don't know what it is, or supply pull, demand push. But you know, no, it, printing money isn't all of it, but it's definitely a healthy amount of it. Price gouging is also a healthy amount of it, okay? So it's a combination of things. 
Okay. It, you know, it's not a perfect world. Nothing is absolute. So it, you know, I, I completely um, agree with you that there's a ton of people out there trying to make a buck when nobody's looking and, you know, they get away with it, but eventually someone will catch up to them. If, 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 if the state attorney general doesn't catch up to them, well, guess what? The person down the street selling the same shit who needs to make a buck, but doesn't need to make as much, you know, he'll, he'll knock it down. Which all goes to more of the reason why we need to be revoking these corporate charters. Okay, because the attorney attorney generals, state attorney generals, have that authority. Have that authority. You see what I'm saying? To, to to revoke their corporate charters for acting out of pocket. Well, you know that's that's kind of a hard you know uh, thing for uh, states uh, attorney generals to do because where does their campaign donations come from? Of course, and I understand that. I'm just saying it's okay. the whole. You know, that's where their donations come from. So that ain't happening. Um, so we replace corporations with cooperative owned businesses. Right. And we talked about that the other night. I'm all for that. Yeah. And I think I think um, there was something that happened recently that was actually just brought to my attention today during the JB and Savvy show. I did not know this was happening, but apparently uh, some of the members of ALU. There's a lawsuit that they're trying to remove Chris Smalls from the organization because apparently like, like this was all new to me and they feel like, I guess that he's traveling across the country, but not participating with the movement and the organizing part anymore. So again, this just goes back to, I mean, I haven't talked to Chris Smalls in over two years. Like I invited him on again after he won and stuff like that. But for the most part, he ignored the smaller channels um, after he won. And uh, but uh, there was another ALU member that did come on after they won. And he was on my show uh, a couple months ago. What is ALU? The Amazon Labor Union. Oh, okay. I got you. I got you. Yeah. So Chris Malls, you know, him and, and a team of ALU members, they're the ones that they organized the first Amazon warehouse in the country. But I just found out today that the ALU members want to remove Chris Smalls from the organization. And so what that said to me, again, is that this is why unions should not be the final stop. That's why that's a good starting point. But you have to you have to move to worker cooperatives because this is the thing. Like, I mean, look at what's happening right now with the, the actors joining the writers on strike. You know, that statement came out from executives in Hollywood saying like, well, we'll just let the writers lose their homes and not have food. Like, it's just like, like these people really don't care. And that's the thing. That's why you can't just stop at unionization. You need to move towards worker co-ops. And it's, it's really sad, you know? Um, but I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I, I feel I have so many concerns. Like I do feel like the Democratic Party in some way, shape or form has found its way in the ALU uh, organizing movement in, in the shape, in a way of form as well. And I think that also could be part of the problem. But I think that, you know, um, Workers Strike Back, one of their goals is to unionize Amazon warehouses all across the country. But I also feel like, you know, it seemed like after they won with that first warehouse, everything just kind of the organizing part just exactly. That's what it seemed like. Yeah. 
Yeah, they got fat. It was it was too hard for them to do it, okay? And they got their little victory, and you know maybe the that smalls guy is getting the you know some some money from the union dues, and he's he got fat. He doesn't want to fight. Okay, that's probably what it is. If if I had to guess. Well, I know he announced on Twitter, you know, not too long after they won that he was offered a book deal and he's going to be writing a book about his life. And I'm like, oh, boy. Like, I don't know, man. And this is not to take away opportunities from people, but I I became very concerned. I did. There's go, there's a paradigm shift that's happened in Sabrina. Um. I don't know if you uh, saw that, um, if you checked out that thing of, of the sister, the Georgia state lawmaker who switched from a uh, Democrat to Republican and, and all the, all the uh, Georgian Democrat state lawmakers calling her a traitor and calling her all out her name and all that different type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you know about that? Mm-hmm. Did you hear what they told her when talking about addressing issues regarding the black community? No. All right. Let me just play for you really quick. Go ahead, and then after this, um, Stephen, if you're finished, then I'll move on to. I want to bring in Case and then um, David. Oh, you don't hear? Oh. No. Well, thank you very much. I oh. enjoyed the chat, and uh, next, next. My bad. <laughs> Thanks for nothing. That was all about. <laughs> nah, I thought I thought you were able to hear what I was playing. No. Can you guys hear me? We can hear you, Case. What's up, Case Study QB in the What's house? Going on? It's been it's been a minute. I appreciate you, um, as usual, and still doing the calling, going strong. Much love to you. I, um, I also want to give you credit because uh, the last time we chatted, this was when I was on vacation, like right before I went on vacation. That um, Pod Save America clip blew the heck up. It was at like seven hundred k views. Uh, you know, the last time I checked and I give credit to you and Harlan's media because you guys covered it way before everybody else jumped on board and started covering that clip. You remember? Oh, with um, the, the Pod Save America guys talking about um, voter shaming. Oh, yeah. You know, I had to cover that. You blew up case. Uh, well, that that particular clip definitely went viral. So I give credit to you and Harlan's who you're always vigilant on, on these clips. And catching it before everybody else. But um, as far as uh, I'm just going to mention real quick, and then I got to get back to this call real quick. But um, Stephen mentioned, you know, um, uh, Michelle Obama. I don't. I, I agree with you, Sabrina. I don't think she. Everyone wants her to run. She does not want anything to do with her running. Like she lived it with Barack Obama. So she's like, these white boy Republicans going to drive me wild. So I'm not running. <laughs> For president, so I, I highly doubt she's going to run. I definitely think Gavin Newsom is going to run. Just and and also to Stephen's point, like because she's coming up with the community or, um, organ, organization that 
definitely tells me he's not she's not running because who does that when they're running for president? They would just write a book and go on a book tour. That's the signal usually when somebody's trying to run for president, not starting a whole community organization. And um Gavin Newsom is everywhere. Everybody talks about Gavin Newsom. I think the only issue is the elite for the first time or one of those rare times where we could kind of see the elite split on the issue. A part of the elites want Biden because he's safe. He's against Medicare for all. And then a part of the elites see that Biden could possibly, you know, you know, I, I, God forbid, croak because I don't want anybody to die. But he might croak or something bad happens. And they're afraid. There's a part of the elite that is afraid that a progressive might somehow slip in there. So they're trying to say, hey, you know what? Before something happened like that, let's just get Gavin Newsom in there. So I think a part of them want Gavin Newsom. And then there's a part that might say, hey, if we put Gavin Newsom in there, then everybody's going to jump. You're going to have Elizabeth Warren, maybe Bernie, maybe you're going to have like another 20 people running for office. So and then in that situation, you don't know if a progressive can slip in there again. So I think there's fractions of the elite um, in the conversation. And you can see it played out through the media. Yeah, I think Gavin Newsom needs to fix California first. You know what I mean? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah he's, he's, he's I saw a picture. I think Nico sent a picture out and he's like, man, in my generation, a lot of people wanted to come to L.A. And now a lot of my generation is trying to leave L.A. <laughs> so That's true. That's true. Yeah. What's but, up, David? Thank you, Case. What's Casey? up, David? Oh. Hey. Oh, Hello. Okay. Hey. Hi, Savvy. Hey, how are you? Good. Good. But I got to appreciate you. Just, I, you know, so many good things you're doing. Just, I, it's so, just the common, you know, the, the journalism combined with the political effects you're having is, uh, it's really admirable. I got to, you know, much, much praise from here. Oh, thank you. That's really sweet. How do you feel about this information that came out in reference to, you know, Marianne from her former, her former sta uh, staffer? Oh yeah, I mean, I mentioned something like the other night. I have like an observation on that. You know, I was just thinking that. Uh, well, you know, I don't support Marianne. I don't support Marianne kind of for similar reasons to that you reasons you kind of said that you don't support her. Um. And uh, mainly because she's in the Dem I mean, I'm not going to vote for a Democrat. <laughs> After watching lots of people die, you know, locally because of Democrats, I'm not going to vote for a Democrat. So for president, no, never. I mean, I, I don't know if I'll ever vote for a Democrat. I hope that we're able to sunder the, those two major parties and get like a through the Cornell West uh, campaign, get a, you know, maybe get the Green Party as. And maybe another part, maybe get the Greens and the Libertarians, like, as large as the other two. And, like, you know, have, like, some sort of massive, you know, contested thing in 2024. You know, anyways, let me not speculate on that. But Marianne, yeah, uh, what came out, like, I, I, I haven't researched what her staffer said. It's true. I had, I did have a take that it, I, I thought it was likely that someone, that someone like that person would say Things like that. You notice she gets a little bit ahead of herself. Some of the things she's saying, like she's like she's like you know she's like you know of course I have 25 years campaign experience. Like 
the way she stated the criticism, she was a little bit, I'm sure that some of the things she said were true about Marianne. Um, I, I like, I, I think she's making righteous criticisms, but I think it's like a, you could predict what a person, like, like for instance, she was moved to political director and they can't, like she said she was moved from, or she was made, she was moved from campaign managed campaign direct, like, when you're doing campaigns, you have a certain kind of personality. It's more like your personality, like very receptive, very receptive, able to talk to a lot, more like a counselor type personality, able to talk to a lot of kinds of people. Like, um, I mean, you know me, I'm like kind of, I'm like both mellow and intense at the same time. But when I'm doing field organizer stuff, like I can be a little bit, anyways, well, I'm, let me not talk about myself, but what she said about Marianne, like I can see why that kind of person, if she, if she was, forced to be political director, maybe that woman is the, to be like the political director position. She's, she might be like the most like ideological, the most sort of like intense politically, but not as good at like managing other aspects of the national campaign in terms of talking to people. So I was trying to see where her personality was, but like, you know, overall, I'm, I, I don't want to make, I'm talking too long, but I'll, you know, Overall, I agree. I'm sure she's making some righteous criticisms of Marianne's campaign, right? So. so let me add something, guys. Someone responded to, who is this? This is um, Joseph Jewell on Twitter responded to my tweet about the live post on Twitter and said, look what I found. It would seem that the source in Politico wasn't lying about pricey tickets for Marianne Williamson's event. And he took a screenshot. Why is Mary? Listen to this, guys. A special event with Marianne Williamson. You're invited to a private gathering in support of 2024 presidential candidate Marianne Williamson, Wednesday, July 19th in Los Angeles. Address provided upon RSVP. These tickets, the cheapest ticket is $250. $250, $500, $1,000. Three thousand three hundred, six thousand six hundred. I thought this was supposed to be a grassroots campaign, right? So you can't you can't even get into the event unless you can come up with two fifty, right? Yo, what is so. this? <laughs> he just sent me to this to me. I never saw this. Go go ahead, Eric. I saw you on mute. This is insane. This ain't for working class people. I just said it just sounds like a Democrat. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> this is the same shit that RFK and Rokana did, but at least they're not running around saying they're not pretending like, you know, yeah, this is funded by by built by the people funded by the people. We care about the working class. Like they're not saying those things. Well, actually, we're God. Coming, we all My know God. Can we, yeah, can we can we throw citizens, you know, can we burn every law book that has Citizens United printed? In it like immediately you know six thousand six hundred dollars what the fuck is this who can afford this i sure as hell can hey, yeah it's crazy 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 i'm just yeah. wondering yeah. when when yeah. cornell west is gonna start doing stuff so we can talk about something worth talking about you know yeah, save so us cornell from having to talk about these democrats all the time it's tough to talk about the it's tough to talk about the national politician because all the fighting people are incredibly angry at Congress right now and they're 
really dismissive of Congress in general. So I'm talking about like, you know, I mean, you know, I'm talking about like the, the really principled rank and file union people, plus people that don't have unions, plus are fighting to get a cooperative together, plus the people on the street that are principled, plus like people that, you know, might own a, might be middle class, own a home, but they're, they're watching society collapse around, around them. So, this is crazy. Yeah. No, nobody has this yeah. money. No, so yeah. I think, um, so Jill did answer that question when she came on. She said, like, once they, they should be ready to announce that information soon, she said. But remember, it took a little bit longer with Dr. West because originally he was with the People's Party and then he had to switch to the Green Party. And then you have to switch all the financial information over. You got to switch all the banks over. Like, that stuff yeah. takes time. So, it is very complex. I've, I've been a part of that. I was part of the Nader in 2000. Like, I've, and of course, like doing housing organizing in Boston, you touch a lot of the, you touch like political campaigns sometimes. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. I've worked on political campaigns too. I worked for, as a volunteer, I've never been paid. I've never been a paid political consultant or paid to work on a political campaign, but I've, I've worked volunteer on political campaigns. So, not going like knocking on doors and stuff like that. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's definitely a process because like, even like the FEC stuff is not easy. Like yeah. everything, this, yeah. this shit, and it would be faster. Like I said, like if he had originally started with the Green Party, then these things would be a lot faster. But the fact that he started with one and then had to switch, it's, you have to get everything completely out of the People's Party name. And then there's that. And then you have to deal with the paperwork and all that stuff. So things do take time. Right. Um, it, might even be a, it might even be a, like you're saying, Sabs, I don't mean, I'm not trying to interrupt. It might even be a straight delay. Like, yet it might, the government might not approve anything of the degree of the GP forms until they're out, until they approve that he's out of the, of the PP form, the People's Party forms. Right. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah, but this is, I, I don't know. Jesus Christ, who the hell has $6,000 just to throw out at a dinner? Hell, even if I was like wealthy, I ain't giving, I'm just not throwing out $6,000 at a fucking candidate. Why not give that money to like homeless people or something? Yeah, I think AOC I has. That gets me. Like if you have $6,600 right. to give to a political candidate, why aren't you taking that money and like building like more housing like for people who can't afford to pay for the housing. Like, why aren't you like building like, or starting a food pantry or something like that? Like, why aren't you like feeding people and shit like that? Do you know what I could do with that with mutual aid? Yeah. And look at what Rome's doing with the, like, look at, you know, when Rome gets, brings it, when he gets another 6,000 into like, into, as a, you know, bank, like banked in for the library, when he gets, if he gets 6,000 for that, like, it's so much more valuable to build out the library than, I don't know, for, for me, that's more valuable, that institution, than just giving one campaign a $6,000 boost. Because also, when you have a lot of money, when you, if you're a candidate and you have a lot of money to spend, like, say, say we had a candidate in Boston that was, like, really good, you want to run for something, some high office, and, you know, what, like... If and then somehow we had five million dollars to spend on the campaign, what are you? You know, you can pay the campaign workers to have better campaign workers. That's, that's probably only in the hundred. That you know, that's not going to get up too high. It, like, I mean, you're buying TV ads with it. That's what 
that's where the expense of political campaign, you know, and I don't think TV ads are effective. I don't think they're effective for voters these days. Like, I don't think it's a, it's a good use of money. First, first of all, it's an incredible amount of money. Second of all, they're only seen on certain, certain like TV stations, right? Maybe a few different, you know, platforms, but only not, people aren't going to see them mostly in the district. And also, you're handing the money to fucking MSNBC. You know, you're handing fucking five hundred dollars to MSNBC. You just right, spent, you busted your ass going door like getting like ten dollar donations up to have five million for this like potent socialist or whatever candidate. I, I'm not saying it has to be, but you know, so you should not. Like, what you want to do is have a you want to have a shoestring campaign that is shoe leather, and but you still knock the, the sons of bitches out of the. You know, out of office, like you know, that's what I'm. That's what I, that, that would be my point of view on that. So. Yeah, I mean, like to me, this is just you know, it's like a no brainer. Like if if you have those types of funds, it's a no brainer. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to talk about those things because. Yeah, I mean, just where I am right now, you know, hopefully I'll, things will get better. But, you know, I, I mean, just the way I've been living in the past years, you just don't have access to, you know, you don't have, I, I don't know, I don't know what to say about that, except, uh, but, you know, people don't have, you don't have, like, say I married someone that was wealthier than me, or say, like, you know, people, you can't decide the situation of your birth, right? You can't decide the wealth of your family when you're born. You don't, you don't, you don't choose that. Right. You don't choose that. You're born a certain way. And, you know, and all around us, we have a we have a. So, you know, some people, some people through no fault of their own have money that they really shouldn't have. We had a if we had a fair and a socialist or whatever you want to call it system. You know, but you're not only you, people get handed money and not only do you not choose the circumstances of your birth. Which you, you could be, you know, Charles Manson had children. Right. You could be Charles Manson's son or daughter. Right. Like, you know, like, you know, people are born to prostitutes all the time, you know, full on, like really fucked up prostitutes. So, so like, so, you know, you don't choose the circumstances of your birth, but also this is within a, like a full on, a full on money capitalist system where you're not generally, you're not even allowed to move. You're only, you know, certain types of money moves are encouraged and others are not by the tax system and by, custom and culture right so so that doesn't mean that i'm not going to oppose like i i oppose capitalism on a street level right i mean that's what i do and you do that as well right i've seen of course you do that right when you were a lot of this stuff you've done right so yeah yeah and i mean like you know i mean that's that's what it really comes down to at the end of the day that's what i feel like anyway you know a lot of this is just like capitalism that's what it feels like so, yeah so anyways um i didn't have like i didn't have too much like insight to add here but um let me get out so i don't you know i've already, i've been i've been i've been in for 15 minutes so let me get out of uh let me get out good, good to good to check in with you guys uh much you know much power much uh i'm not gonna say power because i don't like pumping up power but much success to your to the movement around you Awesome. Thanks so much, Dave. Okay. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, Dave. 
Go ahead, Eric, and then I want to bring in Noel. And then we'll, then I'll go to him. We're just saying bye to Dave. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, okay, Miss Miss Noel, please grace us with your presence. And then I'm gonna go to Amanda because Amanda, I think you were ahead of Lance, but somehow you you got kicked to the back of the line. But we'll figure that out. What's up, Noel? Good evening, everybody. Um, above and below. Um, you know, first let me say that the interview with Judge Joe Brown was very interesting and very insightful. Um, he has a lot of information at his disposal. I must say that his take on the LGBTQ community is um, dangerous, it is alarming, and it is incredibly archaic. Um, but you know, people are you know peculiar creatures, and I don't let his um, frailty along those lines um, not allow me to hear the other information that he has to provide. But it, um, for him to be running for office with a position like that, um, it makes sense in Tennessee. But, you know, I just found it really, really alarming because it demonstrates a type of, you know, being out of touch with the times as well as being inflexible in terms of the expansion of the understanding about how people exist. That said, I thought he was very interesting and he had some very um, sharp insights and critiques, um, but you know, and his straight shooter style, his no nonsense style is appealing to some, but again, I say it is a tad off putting for me, but I thought it was a good interview um, and I found him interesting. I'm just going to say he lost me at that point because I was like, I said, say what now? And he was just like, well, you know, if you want to get your free going in the bedroom, for one, and, and first and foremost, I don't know why people are so obsessed with what other people are doing in the bedroom. Um, I never, I never, 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 never understood that. So there's that. And then two, I was just like, Judge Brown, if somebody came to me and said, hey, can you refer to me as such and such? I don't see what the big issue is because my thing is, haven't we been doing this all along? Haven't we done this all my life? All my life, I've had people say, you know, I didn't know help. I didn't know until I graduated from high school that one of like my classmates who was who was in, in theater with me like the whole time I was in high school, one of my classmates mates that we were calling fucking Brandon for four years, it wasn't until he walked across the stage to get his diploma that I, we realized his real name was fucking Jamie. Nobody knew that shit. So the thing is, is like, haven't we been doing this all along where people ask you to call them something else? But And see, <laughs> that is basic, you know, one of the basic tenets of civility. You know, you respect how people understand themselves and you refer to them as they choose to be, you know, as they request that you reference them. And that's that. That is a type of, you know, respect one person to another. But this demand that and, and it's not like, you know, throughout the ages, we have not been aware that there were at least, you know, gay people around. But what alarms me, and it's, you know, really the American way that people who are in the mainstream, however you demand, um, define mainstream, 
find it so easy to be dismissive of an understanding that broadens the construct and broadens the concept. You know, is it a big thing to ask you to understand that beyond gay, there are other people who have had other issues? Is it and what harm does it do? Why are you so I understand that we've all been you know, socialized to just see fundamentally male, female, straight, gay, this and that. But at this point, especially for a person so learned, why is it so threatening to you to say, well, let me understand that there may be some gray areas, that gender may not be an absolute or this and that. Why is that so threatening? And why do people cling to those things so much when on the flip side is you have people like myself who are saying, you know, please make space for me. Um, please allow me to be my full self. And I always find it alarming when these um, bigoted type views come by way of black people who have been oppressed in this society because of race. So when black people have come forward and said, could you please respect our humanity? Can you see us as human beings? Can you allow us to exist? And then we turn around to the LGBTQ community. And we're like, oh no, you can't be this, you can't be that, this and that. And I'm saying, wow, how can you just not see that it is a, a different play on the same thing? But like I said, because the, you know- Because religion, because people yeah. use religion as, as like the excuse. And my thing is when people come to me and say, well, the Bible says, you know, God created Adam and Eve. And I was like, yeah, but the Bible also says thou shall not commit adultery, but y'all have no problem hoeing in the church now, do you? Exactly. <laughs> you um, know, and the Bible says, love ye one another and judge ye not that ye be judged. And, you know, if, but, you know, I went to Catholic school and one of the earliest lessons I learned is that the Bible is not a weapon. It is a tool. And when you find yourself using it and weaponizing it, then you are out of context with what it's supposed to really be about. It is for you to further develop your understanding and your relationship with your spirituality and your God. It is a tool to better help you negotiate life. It is not to be weaponized to alienate and disenfranchise and beat people down and enslave people. And it has been used for all those things. Um, you know, but, but it's, you know, I am amazed that this is the level of our humanity in what we consider a first world nation, but it does not really, you know, have me all befuddled because again, I go back to this is a nation built on and built out of lies. It has not been truthful about anything. While we were proclaiming ourselves the land of the brave and home of the free or however that saying goes, we had people enslaved. When we were building out the constructs of the nation, we were contemplating that white people who own land, white men who own land would get three fifths of, you know, a vote in terms of representation in the um, electoral colleges for the number of blacks that they own. So those dichotomies and those hypocrisies are just too extreme to think that through that intersection, you're going to get something healthy and whole out of it. 
And, you know, which is why I continue to say this is a plantation nation. But moving forward on that theme, when we talk about what we see in the Congress going after the FBI director, um, what I see is a deterioration of the administrative state. Um, and to me, it is running juxtaposed to the things we're starting to learn about the U.S. Supreme Court and their connections to big money and this and that. So what I see in this, you know, deterioration is a collapse of the administrative state because now everything has been so politicized and everything is so hyper-partisan till they're beginning to attack each other. And so we see the institutions revealing things that have been there all along. The, the, the use of the FBI to go after political opponents and stuff like that, and the fact that the Supreme Court has been, you know, nursing these relationships with rich individuals, those things didn't just happen yesterday. And the people who are doing the investigatory work or the people who are conducting the forums um, in Congress, you know, it's all based on a politicized situation. It's hyper-partisan. So you can't trust these people as good faith players. And what it says to me overall is that we're at that place in this predatory capitalist state where everything is up for grabs and everything is cannibalistic and they're feeding on each other. And nobody is really focusing on the broad swath of working class and poor people in this country is all about, you know, politicization. And it's all about trying to control the narrative, which has become virtually impossible because of social media and independent media therein. People are getting information all over the place. And I see, you know, the people who are in the head of the government offices, they're just trying to maintain a grasp and a grip on the partisan stuff. And they're going to tell you anything, say and do anything, you know, and I link that to the Marianne Williamson situation, which I find her to be at this point deeply unserious as a candidate, because, yeah, your daughter is having a baby. But if you're running for president, I expect you to do your due diligence as a parent and check in and this and that and go see the baby when it's born. But, you know, you just lead a campaign trail. You got this book coming out, this and that you got you know, a, a revolving door on your top staff. And so I'm saying, ooh, this is just not, and you, most importantly, you're unwilling to speak critically against the sitting president because you're trying to walk that narrow line and not alienate a lot of those hardcore Democrats who are still bought into this, you know, cycle and this political thing that we know is broken. So first of all, you're running in a Democratic Party that we know to be broken and corrupt. So that's the first strike. And then within that context, you're not willing to do the things that will at least give you leverage. You're not Bernie Sanders. You don't have a political career and a consistent messaging to build out your campaign and to introduce yourself to these people by way of what you've been saying for years. You're coming out of left field. And, you know, in terms of the DeSantis thing, 
you know, and him trying to run to the right of Trump, Trump at least had a um, a reputation in media. He already had the TV show. So when he came to run for president, he had that situation to introduce him and build off of, which is why he could do all these things and get away with it, because people perceive that is not a far cry from you're fired. So when he comes out with that, oh, grab him by the pussy and, you know, this and that and knock him in the head, I'll pay your legal bills. People see that within the framework of you're fired. So they see him as a boss. But for DeSantis, and you know what, you you hit a really key point. DeSantis has a credibility thing because he just doesn't play well to the camera. He comes across as not believing what he is saying. And, you know, you can say a lot of things about Donald Trump, but his narcissism and megalomania allows him to come across in those visuals as truly believing the lies he's telling. And that's just, you know, that's just something in terms of a natural set of circumstances that DeSantis does not have. But all in all, when I put this whole thing in a nutshell, you know, including what's going on with the weather, with the flooding in Vermont and the hot spell Phoenix having six, seven, eight, nine days of record high heat and this and that. Nobody's addressing that. Nobody's talking about those things. They're busy talking about, you know, Marianne and had staff rotate and, you know, what the FBI director is doing. But that has nothing to do with speaking to the needs of the people. And so I see this whole thing as predatory capitalism coming to some type of elevated peak, which is creating a type of cannibalistic thing within the governance structure, which signals to us the deterioration of the administrative state. And before long, people are just going to be helter-skelter. We've had a record number of mass shootings in this country since the beginning of the year. The One of the latest ones was here in Cleveland. You know, it's just like, you know, I feel, I have never felt, never felt so uneasy and so uncertain in my day-to-day existence because it's like every day is something. But I see these things coming together. I see the dynamics of a um, empire in collapse, you know, bearing the signs and fruits with a capitalism that has gone predatory, uh, international and foreign policy that's, you know, helter-skelter. We're pushing the war machine at the same time when we have a problem with unhoused people and homelessness and, you know, food problems and, you know, climate problems and this and that. And we're still talking about, oh, more money for them. And, you know, oh, we're going to get them cluster bombs after we said that last year. I mean, how hypocritical can you be? You accuse Russia mm-hmm. of doing it and being inhumane and it's a war crime. And then you turn around and say, oh, but we're going to give some to Ukraine because they got to be able to stand. It's just crazy. It is 100%. And I, I just think that like what you mentioned about like Ron DeSantis, I think that Ron DeSantis is just one of those people where he's just not likable. I'm sorry. He doesn't look comfortable. Even when he was in that Twitter space, like he just sounded so uncomfortable. He was not talking about important issues. He not talk about the economy. He didn't talk about foreign policy. And I'm like, motherfucker, you really sat here for hours just talking about we got to get away from this wokeness and we got to da 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 da. And I'm like, 
that's what you're running on? Are you a fucking idiot? Do you understand how many people are angry with the economy right now? Are angry with the cost of living? They're angry at the fact that people are being evicted, people are losing their homes, and that's what you're choosing to run on? Like, how but, stupid can you be? But think about it. What else can he say? What mm. else can he offer? He has to play those race lines, those bigoted lines, this and that, because he has, there's nothing there. And he's an uncomfortable liar. And I think he really has not studied that Trump paradigm and really does not know how it works beyond the fact that Trumps get to say a lot of salacious things and people just, you know, dial into it. He doesn't really understand what's going on beneath that. So he's doing a, uh, you know, sad mimicry of Trump, but it's just so superficial. He can't even dig deep. And, and realize that he is not situated in a place to do that. And it tells me that he understands that it's a game. He's just a poor actor. He's been catapulted in this place because of the situation that he has managed in Florida. But he is nowhere near ready to run this nation, not even as a right-wing Republican. He just doesn't have the substance in terms of presentation. You know, and that's the same as Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy and all these other people. I'm like, you all are just a cast of characters. And one of the things, Sabrina, I think is most prominently missing in the entirety of the, you know, mainstream political landscape is an ounce of integrity. That's why when Cornel West started speaking, it is like rain on parched earth because finally you have someone, you know, saying the things that need to be said in a broad context and just, you know, laying it out for the people to understand. Now, whether that will resonate with the, you know, heart and soul of the Democratic and Republican parties or whether it will be broad enough to capture the majority in this nation who consider themselves independents, I don't know. But I am praying that people hear this clarion call for what it could potentially represent going forward. But we it's, it's so clear to me that we are really in a dire place and people are so busy, like I've said before, so busy living their lives and being distracted and being entertained till they really don't see the things that are really unfolding right in front of our faces. Well said, Noel. Amanda, you're on the mic. I just want to go ahead and bring you in. Hey, Savvy. Hey, everyone. Hey, how are you? So I just, um, this is such a great conversation. I also wanted to if you don't mind, a couple of other things have happened in the past week that I think are important to make note of. The um, Slightly more than a week ago that Judge, Judge Doty in Louisiana made the ruling in Biden v. Missouri that put an injunction against the federal government from having meetings with social media companies. So you know about this, yes? Mm-hmm. I think it's incredibly, when you read the judges, um, when you read the judge, some of the quotations that um, I, I, 
there's a lot of people writing about it, of course, but I, I got some of the best information and quotations from the judge's ruling, which was 155 pages long, from um, Robert Malone's Substack, which is under, um, who's Robert Malone is the name of it. And it's just, it's really scary, shocking, all of the evidence they brought forward and the fact that the injunction bars 10 government departments and agencies, as well as nearly 50 named federal officials from engaging in any communication of any kind with social media companies, urging, encouraging, pressuring, or inducing in any manner for removal, deletion, suppression, or reduction of content containing protected free speech. They're also barred from flagging content or posts on social media platforms and forwarding such to social media companies in an attempt to set press or censor messages or views. And what's really, really scary about this is that I don't know who's going to enforce this against the, you know, I mean, the federal, the FBI is is federal law enforcement, right? Who's going to stop them? Well, who polices the FBI, right? Congress is supposed to. And they're not doing great right now at that. Even the Republicans are struggling to get a freaking answer from these guys. On the plus side, on the international relations side, on the labor side, there's also the fact that dock workers on the West Coast of the United States have are refusing to Canadian-bound cargo in solidarity with the strike of dock workers in Canada. This is just so that's that's what we were were waiting for that to happen, actually, or at least I was. (laughs) Yeah, right. And it's not a it's not a total strike, but it but it's it's they're refusing. They're disrupting cargo work worth approximately five point seven billion dollars already. The association says the refusal of U.S. West Coast port workers, which is the International Longshore Workers Union, ILWU. Um, the quote, port workers and workships rerouted from Canada will further damage the reliability and competitive of West Coast ports up and down the coast. Because, of course, the uh, port owners are not too terribly happy with this um, ongoing. And, and it looks like SAG voted to strike in solidarity with the writers. Yep, we, we covered that. We covered that today. Sorry, I missed that part of your show. How did it, so what's the takeaway that you had of that? Sabby? Well, we covered that on the JB and Savvy show oh, on RBN. Okay. We covered that earlier today. Yeah, so it was, oh, it was interesting. Earlier. Gotcha. Yeah, it was interesting because while we were live, there was still more breaking news coming out of that story. So we showed like Fran Drescher's speech. We talked about the writers. We showed the statement that came from the executives where they said they wanted the writers to basically lose their their homes and not have food to eat. Like they wanted them to get to that level before they're just like, okay, we're just going to come back. Like it's, this is really like, capitalism is such a form of destruction. Like, I, I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. But it's such a destructive system. So it's really, it's crazy, but I don't think people understand. Like we told for people earlier today, this is, this is huge. 
This is the biggest strike in the entertainment industry in over 70 yep. years. The fact that you have the actors there also with the writers. Absolutely. And then I just wanted to put a heads up, which I'm sure you know, because you're in this business and paying attention to these things. But the first filing for the camp for the presidential campaigns is July 15th. So we can start seeing more numbers, although it looks like right now, if you're on the FEC site, um, the person who has the most money in for, for the reports that have been filed thus far, which doesn't include RFK or, or Cornell West, is John Castro, Republican, has loaned himself $20 million. So he's first in money. Of course um, he did. <laughs> right. Uh, Trump, 18 million. Biden, 12 million. This is on the FEC, the Federal Election Commission website, which is FEC.gov. So anybody can go and check this out. Vivek Ramaswamy is at 11 million. Nikki Haley's at 5 million. Perry Johnson is at 3.7 million. And then it just goes down from there. And the Marianne Williamson's listed as having taken in just under a million dollars, nine thirty-three, five sixty-five, and has has already spent seven hundred and forty thousand dollars. Well, considering she seems to have this event coming up, um, where she's charging like up to six thousand dollars for a ticket. I think she'll be all right. Yeah, she's definitely needs to do some fundraising because she's definitely way back in the pack. Well, no, 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 that's, that's not okay. I want to be clear. That's not okay. If you say right. you're going to this campaign, you shouldn't be charging people $6,000 to get in the door. So how is she supposed to compete? If If you are running a grassroots campaign like Bernie Sanders did, mm -hmm. you compete by small dollar donations. Bernie oh, Sanders, totally. most of his money came from small dollar donations. It was people like me that gave $27 here and there, like that kind of thing, which if Marianne was running a strong campaign, she would have that. She's not running a strong campaign. She's not on that same level that Bernie was on, where Bernie created a movement across this country. There's also the fact that she got that book coming out in September. So this information that was released by her former staffer, who apparently was just fired, uh, at the end of June is very damning. And I think like people need to seriously like look into that because I did contact him and ask him if he's willing to come on. Me and JB tried to get him on the JB and Savvy show. He didn't, we haven't heard back from him. Um, but I can imagine multiple people have reached out to him, but it's just, it's not good. It's not good. And not only that, he's saying he wasn't even paid. Mm. So there's that. But he is saying that this is not a real campaign. He said this is a book tour. And he didn't even know at the time that she actually did have a book coming out this September, which she does apparently because Colin looked this up on Amazon. And sure enough, the mystical Jesus will come out September mm. of this year. So it's not a matter of how can she compete because we've had candidates run grassroots campaigns that heavily competed. It's not even that. It's the fact of if people aren't donating to your campaign, it's probably because they don't believe in they don't believe in you. 
They don't believe that you're actually going to fight. People believed in Bernie. So are you do you, are you going to um, do you have the position then with Cornell West that he should have that kind of campaign? Well, yes, but that? Green Party doesn't take. Oh, they don't take corporate, right? Are you there? Actually, to the left of the progressive movement in the Democratic Party. Because the Green Party, number one, they had the grassroots thing down from the get-go. So that wasn't new to them. The Green New Deal came from the Green Party. AOC and Ed Markey just basically co-opted that and watered it down and applied as a progressive policy Democratic Party. But the real Green New Deal is from the Green Party. And you can see it on their website and it goes much further than what AOC and Ed Markey had. So some of these things just came from the Green, like the Green Party had these things first. The climate issue, they were on the climate issue 100% correct way before progressives were like, okay, let's talk, we need to be, you know, more transparent about the climate issue and we need to try to, you know, fight back against that. Again, that came from the Green Party and they watered it down so that it would be palatable to establishment Democrats. So the thing is that people need to fully understand is that if you're talking about who is more progressive, it's actually the Green Party. The Green Party has reparations as a part of their platform. The progressives don't. That's the thing. Marianne had it a part of her platform and she had it a part of her platform in 2020, but the progressives as a whole didn't. Bernie Sanders didn't even want to have it as a part of his platform. So that just goes to tell you, that's why I've been trying to tell people the real progressives were the Green Party members from the jump. And the people who pushed like Justice Democrats, like they knew that, like Kyle Kalinske knew that. If you go back and you watch some of those old videos when they first announced Justice Democrats, they acknowledged that the Green Party was was on the right path. But they didn't want to do that because they said it would be harder. I kid you not. Well, that not that what they always say? I mean, really. You know what I find shocking just looking at these FEC filing is that Joe Biden's raised $12 million and he's already spent $11 million. And where is he for that $11 million? That's the most of everybody. Well, he doesn't have to do anything to raise any money. When you're the incumbent, you don't even have to campaign. Well, he, spent a million, he spent $11 million and does he have that much better polling to show for it? I don't think so. Doesn't do matter. It, it doesn't matter. He's the incumbent. That's all. The well, only thing he has to run to spend on that much, right? Why the only have thing to spend that much. The only thing that honestly, the only thing that he has to run on is the fact that he is the incumbent. That's it. So why is Trump only spent four million dollars, and he seems to be in better polling position than Biden? I'm just saying it doesn't seem like money well spent. Well, no one said Joe Biden is actually trying to win. <laughs> <laughs> they just want to fundraise. 
You are correct. I was making assumptions all along. That's that was on me. <laughs> Fully on me. <laughs> he wasn't trying yeah. to win last time, Amanda. Remember Obama helped him. He was staying in a basement. He didn't he didn't have any campaign offices anywhere during the primary. And then all of yep. a sudden Obama he was like, I don't know, fifth in place. Obama comes in, he says, tells everyone to get out because they're dividing the vote, making Bernie win. So what are they spending the money on if he's not trying to win? Ads. Well, it's all a money game. I mean, you have these big, fat, financially fat Democratic consultants and PR companies. I mean, it's, it's a whole industry. And so, you know, it's basically a monster that's being fed by all these campaign donations. It's all a money game. I mean, really. Oh, by the way, I just wanted to mention real quick, because Noel mentioned uh, the Florida governor before. Uh, he has nothing to run on, so we go and vote, because uh, Florida is number five in income inequality. So he, he, he can't run on anything that that actually help people. So that's that's why it's going that way. So I just want to say that real quick. Well, I think that's he's a really good point. Point. I mean, what else is he going to run on, right? Why no, it's, tell it's the true. truth anyway? I mean, he doesn't run on truth anyway, does he? What politician? Anyway, anyway, I I just, I'll let I'll go so somebody else can come on. I just really appreciate the conversation always. Thanks for letting me chime in. Thanks so much, uh, Amanda. I got the video. Go ahead, Roger, and I'll bring in Darlene. Right. Here it is. Here it is. Enroll it. Today, I stand here to say you hear it? that I have decided. Yeah to join the Republican Party of Georgia. The major announcement coming after what she called, quote, harassment and intimidation since she broke with state Democrats on private school vouchers and police reform. I supported children and families over the teachers union. I supported the Republican position not to defund the police. Top state Republicans, including Governor Brian Kemp, were quick to show their support state party chair by her side at Tuesday's announcement. What it reflects is a reality about where there is a political home where diversity of opinion is welcomed. Meanwhile, Georgia's Democratic leader, Congresswoman Nikema Williams, slammed Demeanor's decision as, quote, a stinging betrayal of her constituents. Nothing changes. The only thing that changes is I have support and I'm not being harassed and intimidated. They put a checks up on social media for a thousand dollars to run against me nobody wants to talk about that let's stop there real now, quick oh, let me let me fast forward to 315 wow okay the democrats to the republican party already trying to get her out of the pain way is, before she even switched over to republicans so let's continue Mayor said she'd been contemplating a defection for a while, but only announced her switch to the Republican Party on Tuesday. She faced immediate backlash on social media from Democratic lawmakers and many of her own constituents who didn't vote for a Republican. Do you think that it was fair to constituents who had voted you in as a Democrat to switch parties without an election? I do. They elected me to serve them. I'm serving them. So I'm not, I haven't changed anything. I'm the same person, same values, um, voting for the same things. Just because I switch parties um, doesn't mean now I'm going to switch my values and my ideals. I say many other things. 
as we look at your district uh, in the city of Atlanta. Uh, I'm going to read a couple quotes for you, okay? Um, okay. This, this isn't a political decision for me. It... Oh, ah, freaking commercial. Uh, Roger, you getting at something with this? I guess I'm wondering just why. No, no, there's there's something that she's going to say what the Democrats were saying about the black community. You wanted to talk about Black Lives Matter, then you said, but do they? I see every other minority being prioritized except black children living in poverty that can't read. We'll send a million dollars to the border for immigrant services, but black communities, not even a shout out. Let's expand on those thoughts there. And I, I'm sure you've shared this with your colleagues. What do they say when you approach them on those issues? You know, I stand by everything that I said. Um, the Democrat Party has not been focusing on black Americans for quite a while now. Um, we cannot say that we care about people in marginalized communities if we want to keep them suppressed and oppressed. Um, one of the things that bothered me the most is when I would ask them, why are we doing this? Why is it okay for kids to not be able to read? You're in chat GPT um, right now. What are we doing? Their response to me was, we've got to give them hope. We've got to give them hope. So they need to just stay where they are. We hope is what we're going to give them. And in response, I would say, since when is a lie hope? Right? In our community committee meetings, they actually would say that parents of poor children, right? Parents of poor children could not make decisions for them. They needed the lawmakers to make the decisions for their children. I, I completely do not agree with that. I'm happy to be a part of the Republican Party now so we can address those well, issues. Okay. No, no. So, yeah, I just wanted to play that part where they, this is what the Democrats are saying about the, the black. These are black Democrat lawmakers that are saying this about the, their own constituents. So as, that was pretty much the yeah. I mean, that that kind of doesn't surprise me, but her going to the Republican Party. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> it's funny as if they're going to fix this issue. Yeah, Let's yeah, yeah. Darlene. Darlene, you've been waiting ever so patiently. What's going on, Darlene? Just got to unmute. Oh, no. I hope we didn't lose Darlene. Darlene? Do we lose you? Oh, man, I feel bad. I'm going to invite you to speak, Darlene. And then I'm going to go ahead and bring in uh, Lance. Lance, what's up? Just got to unmute. Lance? Oh, no. I can hear you. Oh, there he is. Okay. Yeah, my phone's being a four-letter word. <laughs> Poor Darlene. I don't know. Okay, go ahead, Lance. Hey, Savvy, Eric, Noel, Roger, Eric. Um, you know, I was going to talk about something that um, you guys were talking about before, but you did mention then. So I'm going to switch. Though you mentioned the after thing. Oh, you're which, breaking up a little interestingly, bit. Interestingly. It's the first time. Oh, how about now? 
Okay, you're better now. Is that better? Um, interestingly, the, the last time Hollywood totally shut down with the two big the two big guys at SAG-AFTRA, um, you know, and the uh, the other union was uh, Ronald Reagan. None other than Ronald Reagan was the president of the Screen Actors Guild at the time. This is the first time since then that the whole that all of Hollywood shut down like this. Um, but the other thing, mm. yeah, uh, I just read no, that and I, I read it was seventy years ago. Yeah, nineteen fifty. Oh damn! Um, I'm sorry. I forget how old uh, Ronald Reagan. I'm sorry. Yeah, he was already you know <laughs> old enough to yeah. And what's interesting, UPS is going to go out on strike. I was a UPSer. I was a Teamster. I was in the same freaking union as Howie Hawkins at the same time he was, Local 317. And uh, it, it was a different world. I had great benefits. I was making 10 bucks an hour. My nephew worked there like 20 years later. He was making 10 bucks an hour. But they're going to go on strike. This is not like Amazon. You know, or uh, or uh, or the railroad strike. This is this is big deal, man. It's not like Amazon. This is not just packages. This is businesses, this is small this businesses everywhere. They totally depend. I don't, think, I don't think people realize how many businesses depend on UPS. Like it, it is a big deal. Um, Rome is preparing to. He actually already talked to some of the the workers out there in uh, Michigan. But Rome is preparing to go on the ground to interview some of them July 31st, hopefully, if it, if it goes through, you know? And I don't Biden can squash this one. He had, like, some kind of railroad act, I think, that he, he squashed the railroad union with. But I don't think he has that kind of thing for this type no. of strike. No. I don't think you know what? Syracuse – I'm sorry, Eric. Syracuse is a huge hub. Uh, outside of Maspeth in Queens, in you know, I'm, you know, in Queens, uh, it's one of the biggest hubs in the state. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to pick up on that, and I'm going to go around to the. There's, I remember in my union hall down in the city, and see if I can talk to the folks, see what they think. The local and here is pretty much even with the new guys. He's very, they're very corporate. They didn't want to know nothing about. The, there's a new Amazon warehouse, one of the biggest ever built. Nothing going on with striking there, so they're pretty tepid here locally. But now that the strike's really happening, I'm going to go interview some folks to see what they think too. Put it on my phone. I, I dropped off at that spot in Masspeth some some UPS customers some time ago. They didn't strike over here yet, where I'm at, uh, Sabrina, over by Hofstra University, but. I'll I'll let you know. I'll, I'll what about the end of the month? Is what the hell is this? Like people have no other news to cover. Tyt, loud fart sends RFK Junior's press dinner into chaos. That you they reported on that. <laughs> Was it Who cares? Sabrina, like, funny, right? There's a cliche about boy, they want to worry about every fart. I, I guess they're taking. I just before I bow out because you have a caller behind me and it's getting late in the show, so maybe the segments are getting shorter. But I'll just briefly, if I could, just mention one other. Thing. You're, you're breaking Sammy, you up mentioned later. something that was so spot on, of course, as usual, but about um these Marianne Williams better. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay, just briefly, the thing you were saying about the Marianne Williamson fan that'll spend sixty six hundred 
to go to her dinner. It's the same people, right, that are stepping over the homeless and then going and calling uh, the, the city leaders to say, you know, make these people disappear. It, when I lived in New York, it was really starting to happen. In the late 80s, early 90s, uh, I lived there, so I saw it up close and personal. And, uh, you know, it, it went from gentrification of like the Lower East Side, uh, East Village. They had limousines pulling up to graffiti-strewn uh, buildings that had art galleries, even Soho. My girlfriend and I almost got a, a sublet for the summer in Soho, and it was like, I mean, really fancy galleries, but there was still riffraff like me around, you know. Then they cleaned out all the poor people. Now they skip it, you see. The rich people now, the elites, they don't even want to gentrify. They'll just pick a bad and downtrodden neighborhood like Bed-Stuy. No, there's no gentrification of like a cool, hip neighborhood. They just want to get the poor people out and move right in. It's like it's worse than like what gentrification used to be because they're leapfrogging right over to the let's take over that cool neighborhood. When that always happens, it's inevitable. Like that's what happened with the art galleries. You had people like uh, Keith Herring and Jean Bichel Buscat who were doing graffiti art and were poor folks. That's what the core of the energy was. It wasn't rich elites, you know, selling million dollar, you know, hundred million dollar paintings. But now they don't even do that. They just leap right over gentrify everything and say kick out these skinny poor people and it's like what i've said before it's like these people are just they have no connection to working class people these cubicle lefties it's like their parents and grandparents have all come from clean shiny white suburbs and they don't even know how to deal with having they don't even know what empathy is let alone mm-hmm. well, the workers are taking their power back because they're not they're staying in uh they're doing remote work now they're staying in Nassau and Suffolk County and Westchester, not going to the office. So now all those buildings in Manhattan are losing value because they can't keep them um, occupied, all, all those office buildings. Yeah. Oh, man. You know what they're doing? They're not going to be able to do that with this. But now they're saying like Disneyland or with apartments. We could sell 40 or 50, and they have algorithms. We could sell 50% of the apartments, leave them half empty and charge triple the rent because they'll pay anything and then leave them half empty and still make the same money as if we had fair rent to all the places. Think of all but the maintenance we save. It, it's a real sick, it's like the, the, the greed, it, 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 you, you can't make when you when you think they can't go lower, if they're doing it all over the country with these uh these algorithms with rent, where we can rent forty percent at like uh, Airbnb price, leave sixty percent empty, and still make the same as if we had hundred percent vacancy, or you know, let's say ninety five percent of uh, occupancy uh, with market rate. So they're doing some things that are make you, you, they can keep going lower with this greed to beyond what you can even imagine, even if you wanted to have the worst. Yeah, because, I mean, they're doing it now, though, because a lot of those buildings are empty. Some of them have been used as tax havens. I think it's better to keep them empty to use them as tax havens for, like, people who don't even live in the country. You know, some wealthy people don't even live in the country, so they've been doing that for a while. Man. Okay, thank you, Lance. Um, I'm going to bring in Ruben. Ruben, like the sandwich, you're on the mic. Just got to unmute. Hello. If you guys have never had a Ruben, you have to have one at least once in your life. What's up, Ruben? Hi, can you all hear me? We can hear you. Okay, awesome, good. Because, um, all right. Um, so since I live in Los Feliz area, which is like, like a 10 minute drive without traffic away from Hollywood, um, a lot of actors and writers are, are going to, from what I heard, because I just got out of work, 
um, that a lot of actors and, um, and writers are like gonna be out midnight. Um, a few, not a lot. Um, and then it's gonna go on towards obviously the morning. So like midnight will be the start of the strike. Um, so it's interesting and I, um, I was getting like a little bit like like emotional because um, I saw the video of like Fran Drescher like from earlier today how she went off on like how AI and all that stuff. Um, I just wanted her to say, you know, to to like say names, you know, like Joe Biden, because we all know that he broke the rail strike. Um, so I wanted to say like I wanted her to say that, but she was like. Like, she was inching. She was getting there. Like, she was saying, like, a lot of, like, like, she was saying, like, a lot of truthful things. And how, like, um, I think I saw of an interview she, she had with some lady, like, over on MSNBC. A very short interview. Um, and she was hitting all those points. And then she said that, like, with the, with the advancement of streaming, writers went from writing 28 to, like, 30 episodic for series. To now for like eight um, eight episodes a series and she and, and and she's saying like writers can't live off of that and then she also brought up um, background actors and there's and she's saying with AI they can scan the background actors just for one day have them on set for one day and have them scanned that way they can use those background actors without paying them um, as in like AI in the near future so so like it's 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 getting wild over here in like hollywood yeah so jb and i um covered that earlier today and i was just trying to get the message across to people like one of the things i think that is really disappointing to me is when people assume that everyone who's an actor is a millionaire or is making oh, yeah. dollars mm -hmm. for a role and that's actually not the case so for those listening that like the majority of actors in Hollywood are not rich. The majority of actors in Hollywood have mm -hmm. another job. Like they they're waiting tables or they're a sales associate, or they have a full-time job to pay their bills because they don't know if they're going to get another gig. Those are the majority of actors that are in Hollywood. The majority of actors in Hollywood are not Tom are not like Tom Cruise or Jennifer Aniston mm -hmm. or Tyler Perry. Like those are, those people are the minority. The people who we see all the time, who always are starring in movie roles and stuff, they're the minority in mm -hmm. Hollywood. The majority are the people who mm -hmm. a lot of times names you never know. You'll never get to know them. Yeah. They get a big break. Yeah. Like I'm, well, I'm, I'm also an actor like here and there. But I'm more of a student, um, and I know, like, I'll like, like, I'll go up for like a lot of independent type of roles, short films, student films, to which I book. But all of it is just a ninety, like a good ninety percent of actors in LA slash Hollywood area are just booking those small indie roles, small student film or film projects, and just hoping to get like income, like stable income. Um, and this is why, like, I was getting, like, emotional, because I was, like, hopefully Joe Biden and the administration doesn't break the strike, because, you know, a good amount, like, majority of the people in LA, or specifically majority of the people that are actors and celebrities are pretty much 
down with the blue. Um, and um, like, I just, I was just hoping and praying that, you know, hopefully they, they, they don't break this one strike. And um, talking about, you, you didn't mention Jennifer Aniston. She's getting a lot of, a lot of bad heat because she, um, because she had like a dinner with her friends and also Kristen Bell and they're, and she took a picture and they're like out there in like some Hampton style type of um, um, hangout. And it was like a feast and a lot of writers went, went the grand page and also on Courtney Cox page and say, Hey guys, <laughs> this is not a good, a good picture knowing that we're striking. And now you're having like, writers even calling out famous celebrities that have made it saying hey you were like one of us like supposedly and it's getting to a point where like they just had it and i i am hopeful that this energy keeps going um but i just i'm fearful that that the current administration will find will weasel their way and break the strike, and I don't want that to happen. Um, well, I think what's really good news is the fact that the actors are also in solidarity, like they're striking now too. I think that's good mm -hmm. news, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so hopefully that, that'll, that'll help the writers. And um, I mean, you, you, you need both of them. Like, you really can't do this one without the other. You really can't. I mean, and so now some people have told me that chat GT, GPT can now write scripts. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bad, but, I mean, is it going to have any emotion to it? Is it just going to be like, you know, stale? Like, is it going to be robotic? Like, that's the thing. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, AI is a thing, but at the same time, it's like, there's just something that's really genuine about the human emotion that sometimes you can't get through computer generated garbage. Does that make sense? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, what it's, yeah, like I said, it's, it's, it's very interesting right now in Hollywood and, um, a lot of, and, and it's interesting cause like, um, you you still have the hotel workers still picketing in the line. So now you have like three three facets of like industries in 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 Hollywood. You know the hotel industry, the writers, and the actors now striking. And I I love it because like like during the morning and in afternoon like they're all there picketing. And so I'm I'm loving this this whole environment. You know. <laughs> Noel, I think you were trying to. Yeah, I was gonna say the writers would be real. I can see them really being vulnerable to the AI because you can literally pull all of the scripts for a certain character, program them in, and just run the algorithm thing till it gets the you know the tenor and tone right and this and that. And I can see having one or so people. You know, um, AI producing the scripts for a certain episode and just have one or two people tweak it to get it to what they want it to be. But if you can load up all of the script for a certain character across time, I'm sure AI could match it. And, and so they really are fighting for their lives. 
But, you know, again, I just feel like, you know, these are the things that where this nation is going. They're trying to get back to zero labor costs by any means necessary. And between robotics and AI, you know, everybody's going to be out of work. That's a good point. Eric, I'm going to ask you. Oh, go ahead, Case. You go ahead. Then I'm going to bring Eric in because I know Eric has opinion about AI. Yeah, and I think that um, the way AI works is that they get their data set from already established data, meaning that they would use scripts that already exist. So the question is, the people that created the original scripts, they should be getting royalties from uh, AI using theirs because they have to read their script to then reproduce more and innovate on more scripts. So that's kind of what is going on with the uh, the actors striking right now because they say one of the, th the things that the producers are trying to do is they will use the actors and pay them for one day and then use their likeness for the rest of their lives. So they could pay like an actor, let's say they even pay him $1,000 for one day's work, but then for the rest of their lives, it's like, okay, we don't need you anymore. We have your likeness and we're going to reuse computer generation to uh, regenerate it in our future movies. And that's it. So it is really uh, sad how they're trying to exploit the workers. And then the last thing I want to say is I just clipped something um, before I jumped on a call and uh, uh, I'm going to clip it probably after I'm done that uh, I believe it was Fox business. They had a restaurant owner and the host was talking to him saying like, how's his business doing? And he said, yeah, the cost of buying the foods are going down. So the inflation is going down, but he said wage inflation is going up and that's still a problem is we're still at 8% wage inflation. Basically he's saying that because he has to pay his workers more money, that's a problem. You know, so I, I wish the, the host would have said, hey, by the way, are you planning to take less money since the cost of food is going down and now are you going to take a cut? Instead of you complaining about the workers where we know with workers, you're supposed to get a 3% wage every year anyway, if not more. We should be getting a uh, minimum wage should be $25, like what Workers Right Back is fighting for right now. And there these people that I think he owned like over 60 restaurants or there's a, a lot of restaurants. And he, I'm sure he's making millions of dollars himself. So I just want to throw that in real quick. Yeah, it's just so much greed out there. Go ahead, Eric. Now, you know, Fox News is, is going to, you know, they have their narrative, <laughs> and, you know, and they're basically, you know, serving that, that top 0.1%. And so it's always going to be that narrative and that propaganda. With with, with the actors and the, and the writers striking, I mean, I, I think it, it, it's interesting and, and it's good to see any, any strike, but it's kind of, you know, I, I'm not sure how connected they are, you know, to the to the class struggle in, in general. I mean, they, they really only seem interested in this if it's, you know, affecting them, you know, it's so in general, it's, it, it seems like kind of a slideshow, but, but specifically on, on the whole, on the AI part, I mean, what I would say about like the, the, the AI chat, chat GBT and, and the thing with AI writing scripts and whatnot, it, well, first, it, it's generally oversold. I mean, it's it's getting better and better, but it's still it's still it's still got a lot longer way to, to go than than the way it's portrayed. But in in general, I I would say 
with that, really with any technology, I, I think it's a mistake generally to get too focused on the particular technology or what it means or its, or its impacts and whatnot. I, I think the real focus should be on who's controlling the technology, who who's going to get the benefit of, of, of the technology. And when, when you look at it that way, it kind of, you, you kind of end up in kind of the same type of, of thing where it's the system. It's, you know, as long as we have this, you know, corrupt system where we're, you know, where Congress, our, our so-called leaders, representatives are, are just monsters, just serving donor owners, as long as that, you know, and it's all corporate and it's all top down, as long as all that's in place, then it's all going to be shitty. It's all going to, the technology is always going to go a shitty way. It's always going to benefit the billionaires in the top 1%. And we need to be, you know, there needs to be big systemic type changes. And if we have that, then these same technologies can become things that benefit the 99%. And you can start envisioning having kind of a cool, better world that actually works for people. And I'd be like, that's where the real fight is. Well said, Eric. Well, thank you. Uh, Roger, I want to give you a chance to to chime in I don't think you you were able to say too much so um, one uh, I wanted to uh, so you was talking about case um, workers strike back for $25 an hour have you seen um, uh, Sabrina's show or that segment she did about the minimum wage uh, I might have missed that one. Okay. I might. So, what are we talking about? <laughs> oh, you mean on, 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 the, on the living wage on each part of the country, right? Oh, yeah. I know, I know that one. Yeah, what's you saw that? Yeah. yeah, I saw that. Okay. So what you're demanding for a minimum wage is like, no. You're talking about $25 an hour. Yep. Okay. I just DM'd you the report. When you get a chance, go to page 22, okay? You need to add $10 to what you're demanding, but shoot for $15 more than that. So this way, it can be negotiated down to $35 an hour. I 100% agree with you. So you're, you're negotiating the 20, you say, we want 25. Okay, then before you know it, you'll get negotiated down to 18, okay? Uh -huh. So let me tell you what happened here in New York State. Um, so when Senator Ramos, who, who is, she, she came in on that, uh, wave in 2018 with AOC and all that stuff. So she was one of the, uh, state senators that successfully primary, you know, some, some other Democrats, whatever the case was. Right. So I heard she was going to be the Senate labor chair and I approached her then I was like, look, this is New York. I showed her the out of reach project report. And back then I said the minimum wage should be $45 an hour. And um, she had a look on her face like, oh my God, I don't know how I'm gonna be able to get that done, whatever that case, right? It's not just I, so she just needs some pushing, whatever, right? You know, that was when I was, that was back when I was a Democrat until, you know, like in recent years or whatever the case was, right? Um, even when the, even when the federal Democrats were failing, I still had a little bit of hope for the state Democrats. That plan quickly left once I saw what they did, where they 
after all that time of saying, yo, we need a $45 an hour minimum wage. What they went and did was, okay, they, in 2020, they raised their, they raised their salaries from $79,500 because it was like that since the late 90s to um, $110,000. I was like, okay, I understand. It's an expensive state, but can we get some money too? You know, how about $2,000 an hour? You know, like, okay, I understand, I understand, you know, whatever. Then this, the last week of this, this past December, they raised their, um, they raised their thing from $110,000 to $142,000, but yet did not include in that package a raising of the minimum wage. Okay. I was like, oh, I'm through with these motherfuckers. So then governor signed it into law and then Senator, Senator uh, Ramos turns around and says, we're going to do a minimum wage of $21 and 25 cents an hour. I was like, that's not, that's barely $45,000 a year in a, in a state of New York. Are you like, are you kidding me? Okay. So, so then um, they're fighting. So they put it in the budget and the budget that goes from April fool's day to March 31st, that's a executive budget where the governor acts as the power of the purse. Right. So she, they were fighting for $21 and 25 cents an hour. And the governor was saying, Oh, I want to do $18 an hour. And before you know it, they negotiated down to $16 an hour in the state of New York. Okay. So this, this whole thing. So this whole thing about what, what it is, is that they're afraid that they don't know, you know, the small businesses won't be able to afford it. And they act like I never told them how to handle that. Okay. Which was a minimum wage law that sets the minimum wage permanently 30% 30% above cost of living. Okay. Now I would say the Senator did want to want to uh, attach it to inflation, peg it to inflation. The governor didn't want to do that, whatever, but even still, both of those were starting too low. Okay. But it is, it's simple. To, it's, it's very simple to, to resolve this for small to medium sized businesses. What you do is you say, um, provide, a tax subsidy to cover 85 to 100% of labor costs for small businesses. Okay. As their business grows, the subsidy shrinks. Okay. I, I, I taught, I, I say this to small businesses. They say that's reasonable. I mean, shoot, if the governor is a governor, if the government is going to cover, you know, the, you know, like absorb that impact of, you know, of having to pay out, you know, minimum wage of, which I now say in New York state should be $50 an hour, then, you know, they're, they're with it. But, you know, I'm just saying that, that, that $25 an hour working strike bag is like, nah, man, y- y'all got to come up, bro. <laughs> just look at the thing that I just DM'd you. Okay. And go to page 22. Okay. And it tells you what the minimum wage should be statewide for each state. But if you go to each and every page, they tell you what it should be for I, I think I remember you sending me for New yeah. Jersey and it was like $33 an hour or something like that. Right. But for the more right. expensive parts. Yeah. Of, I like what you Jersey. said, though, where it should be 30% above the livable rate wage, because I was thinking like it doesn't matter what the minimum wage is if food is going to cost a million dollars a plate. You know what I'm saying? So, but, so, but when you made that statement that it should be 30% above the livable wage, I was like, okay, that's the policy that we really need to be fighting for, that whatever the livable wage, which includes the cost of 
uh, rent, the cost of a house, the cost of food. When when that livable rate is uh, um, calculated for every city, every state, every location, then we should have a federal law that says, okay, 30%, at least 30% above that should be the minimum wage. I agree with that. So it, so it says in New Jersey, the fair market rent for a two-bedroom apartment is $1,742. In order to afford this level of rent and utilities without paying more than 30% of income on housing, a household must earn $5,806 monthly or $69,675 annually. Assuming a 40-hour work week, 52 weeks per year, this level of income translates into an hourly housing wage of $33.50 an hour. But Jersey City, they say it should be $40.15 an hour. Middlesex, Somerset, Hunter, Don should be $36.80 an hour. Um, Bergen, Passaic should be $35.23 an hour. Yeah, so those are like the more expensive districts that they say this is what it should be. If, you know, than than what we say the state should be. So you know, I just want you to. It gotta come up. That's all I'm saying. Oh, did I lose you? Am I here? Oh, what yeah, happened? I agree with oh. you. Interesting. Okay, I want to bring in Marco. <laughs> well, go ahead, Case. If you were to say something, then I'll bring in Marco. No, I was saying that I agree with Roger. Um, I also understand the complexities of if you're running a campaign. Like something like five for fifteen is so easy to remember, so easy to market around, and they, they were successful in the past where it was picked up by Bernie's campaign and the fight for fifteen. Even though they haven't accomplished it, <laughs> it was uh, able to really market it. So the, I could see where they're going with fight for twenty-five, but I, I think we got to find a way to market it. Because I even have this idea, and it's on the banner of my Twitter account on Case of the QB, that we need to have a, a pay a worker to boss pay ratio um, and, and have that regulated so that the boss is not making 20,000% more than the average worker, you know? So, so there's a lot of different ways, but then we have to find a way to market it in a simple way so that we can really, uh, if, you wanna, okay, yeah. if you want to, okay. If you want to, if you want to resolve the G, chat GPT thing that Noel was talking about and, and, the, and the artificial intelligence and, Someone was saying something about something else and what you just said about ratio and all that stuff. Fight for worker cooperatives where the worker owns the business because the workers, when they own it, they're not going to vote to replace themselves with robots and AI. And you don't have to worry about boss to what the boss to uh, worker ratio and all that different type of stuff because the workers through cooperative ownership owns the means of productions and distribution that's the way to go anyway i know mark is going to talk about that because i was about to say and we got marco coming in right now what's up marco hey yo good to talk to you um i actually wanted to talk to you about the twilight zone if that's okay go ahead i'm a big fan you know i was i would watch the twilight zone in the 80s on a black and white tv late at night and they would always play next to Star Trek. So, so like I watched Star Trek black and white and I thought they were kind of similar shows in a lot of ways. And, you know, I was watching Twilight Zone recently and I'm like, you know, this is like Pleasantville Black Mirror. Yep. Black, <laughs> black Mirror is just basically like in mod, uh, 
a modern day version of the Twilight Zone, in my opinion. I think it's more Tales from the Dark Side. It, yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of more oh. darker. Yeah, I could see that too. I could see that too. That that's a good one. Um, but yeah, I think that like honestly, you guys like. So I'm a big like Twilight Zone fan. If you guys haven't been able to tell, um, but the Twilight Zone like. I watched like recently I watched the Jordan Peele version of the Twilight Zone and I was actually impressed and I am not a fan of like newer style uh, Twilight Zones but I thought Jordan Peele like really did it justice you know I'll have to check it out yeah yeah he he really did do a good job like my husband and I like we, we loved it and you know he definitely paid homage of course to Rod Sterling and he found a way to include several Easter eggs um, from the original Twilight Zone but I thought it was like just freaking phenomenal and I will say if there's one show that you have never watched in your life that you need to watch it is the Twilight Zone and not because it's about like aliens or whatever like most of the episodes are not but I think that Rod Sterling had a way of talking about issues in that show during a time when it was not popular to talk about it, but he was smart about it because he talked about it in a roundabout way sometimes, but still addressing the problems that we have with humanity. And I think that's just the gist of it is like Twilight Zone addresses like the problems that we have with humanity. And that show was really old, but we still have those problems today. So some well, things just don't change. Yeah, you know, and I think media like the Twilight Zone is really important for people because, you know, they say like, people can imagine the end of the world easier than they can imagine the end of capitalism. So things that, things where you actively engage your imagination are so important. That's why reading is so important. Um, be, and also watching shows and media engages your imagination too, but just not as much as some other things. So like grow your imagination. That's a really important part of, of like decolonizing your mind. I agree. I agree. But if, if the, if the twilight zone was a singer, I would call it Patty. However, I would call the outer limits, Stephanie Mills. Let's not, <laughs> okay. How long, I, Outer Limits was no joke either. No, it wasn't. Um, and there was another one too. There was The Hitchhiker. Um, I remember that one. And there was also uh, Tales from the Crypt. You know, similar kind of things. Yeah, but I had cable HBO at that time. So. Yeah, it it just, it, it really makes you think. And I think that... Um, I think it's timeless. Like the Twilight Zone episodes are just timeless. Like I'm just keep it real because you can watch those episodes and still see how like it relates to things today. And I think that's what's really cool. Like really cool about it, you know? So you're talking about both the black and white and the one that came on in the 90s? The black was... and white one. Okay. The black and white one. The 90s one was, was okay. Um... The Jordan Peele one is better than the 90s one. Okay. Because the Jordan Peele one, it takes like present day issues, 
but it still has like that timeless Twilight Zone like theme. Like it's it's still very much like oh you can watch this and be like oh this is Twilight Zone you know like so it's different because it's in color too and like you know the Twilight Zone touched on issues like there was one thing that like there's there's a um and I'll probably talk about this tomorrow because I'm talking about UFOs tomorrow for one of the stories. What? Yeah, there's a um story about that I'm going to cover tomorrow and. One of the things is that there's an episode called Serve Man. It's probably one of my favorites. Oh. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, man. Because it shows you, like, just how gullible humans can be and just how quickly we just just jump on new opportunities without even asking questions like, Oh, what is this about? I don't want to give too much away, but what is this about? And then only to realize that we're like doomed for not doing our research. And it just goes to show you like how other creatures or whatever, they know we are that way. So they prey on that. Now that episode was many, many years ago, but you still see that today where like, but it's with other humans, where other humans prey on other humans, more so Americans. We could use it with politicians. They prey on like certain voters and they tell us what we want them, what we want to hear so that they we can get them to, they can get us to join them, right? So you see that today. You see that today. So things really haven't changed in like, I just felt like there, there are so many themes that are addressed. You know, also another one that's addressed, but it's not really, it's not said explicitly, but you can tell is mental illness. And, you know, back then that wasn't really, it wasn't talked about as much as it is now. But mental illness is another one that is kind of brought up during the Twilight Zone. Also, you guys were talking about AI. That was also an issue that was brought up during Twilight Zone episodes. Yeah, she it's really ahead of its time in a lot of ways. It really was. It, it was telling us like, hey, these things are going to be an issue in the future. So Rod Sterling was like way ahead of his time. So do you think, so it's often, I think that a lot of times, well, not take, trying to take anything away, but sometimes some people don't predict the future. What happens is you can do something and then 30 years later I go, oh, you know what? I should do that thing that Sabi did. And then you do it and then people go, hey, how did Sabi uh, figure that that was going to happen? Because I got the idea from you. You see what I'm saying? So sometimes it's not like a, you know, a predicting type of thing. Sometimes it's just you're kind of like shaping the future. Anyway, that's just you know my take on it much or whatever but you know yeah it, it could be but I, I think that like there's just there's just so many episodes from Twilight Zone that I think a lot of people just need to see did you yeah. oh now do you did you see I don't know if this is Twilight Zone or Out of Limits but when those aliens came to Earth and spoke to the leaders and said yeah we're gonna kill you all and they thought um they thought that they misinterpreted that. They thought that they were going to 
kill them because they have not been able to uh, be able to get along with each other. So what happened was um, in a matter of hours, they said, all right, well, just, he said, give us a chance. Just just give us a chance. Well, before you kill us, just give it a chance or whatever the case is. So he said, all right, well, I don't know how, what you could come up with in 24 hours, but okay. So then they came back and he said, look, we established a, a peace agreement. We have peace across the world. We're getting along all this stuff. And, they, and, they, and he started laughing. And he's like, well, what's so funny? Oh, you misunderstand. Uh, we breed warriors. We've been looking at your, your species. You guys are sloppy. You don't know how to fight. You have no skills, this, that, and other thing. But this peace thing, so it's kind of like the moral of the story is look with the right motivation, we can achieve peace. <laughs> Even though they was looking for warriors. So they end up killing everybody on earth anyway. Mm. You know what I think is a good uh goes along well with Twilight Zone is the 1950s, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Have you seen that? I've seen that. I haven't. I'd recommend that if you like Twilight Zone. It's very, it's a very good, it's a, it's a very good film. It really holds up even though it's from the 50s, the way Twilight Zone does. Yeah, they remade that with um, Keanu Reeves. Yeah, that was terrible though. God, it was awful. They, they, they remade what with Keanu Reeves? Because you know, he don't play regular roles anymore. So I got to know. It was no, no. he played Klaatu from the, the, from the original the Dadier sit still, yeah. Yeah, that's the one with that with that damn bulky robot. <laughs> Klaatu Barada Nikto. Oh, I didn't see that. Okay, I don't think I need to see that. That that does not sound good at all. Well let's get you set up with pirating and you can just download it. <laughs> they uh mm. the the uh what do you call it? the, the um, spaceship landed on the White House lawn. So that was taken actually from real life um, because of, you know, like uh, uh, during Truman's um, presidency, it was like a, they had captured on video like a whole bunch of UFOs that flew over the White House and they like hid from the public and all that stuff. But it was like widely known back then like, oh, some UFOs flew over the White House, like five of them or something like that. Like, not like way up in the air, but like like a few feet above the uh, the White House lawn or whatever the case was. So. Man, but we've been warned about these things for quite some time. I got to tell you, you know, that things were going to change and I don't know. <laughs> oh, the case. Definitely push them on um, workers' strike back on, uh, what do you call it, on going straight to cooperatives. Because the reason why I say this is we're talking about all this stuff about AI and stuff like that. I really don't think that unions have the, it, it, have the, uh, have the propensity to be able to combat AI and, and artificial, all that stuff. I think the only way to be able to do it is with co-ops because so what make, does that look like though like um, you're telling like? me to push work to strike back but i first of all i've been trying to get another interview with uh shama and uh it's been taking a very very long time to get responses back even though i have i have in the past so i'm not dogging them it's just they might be so busy also 
But yeah. oh, I thought she was on. I thought she was on the staff or something like that. I know I rocked their shirt because I just came from their event, so I like to show support. Like if I had a savvy, savvy. By the way, you you put out a um in that RBN DM group. There was somebody like made a graphic. And I was like, yo, you should put that on a T-shirt. If you did that, I would buy that T-shirt. And I'll be out there rocking Savage T-shirts. I like supporting people. <laughs> I think I did put that on a T-shirt. Yeah, she was doing something with merch. I forgot what it was. Yeah. I What's have, the link? It's on, it's on my YouTube channel. Like, if you go to my channel, you'll see store. Okay. And you I'm just click on store. But you might yeah. be talking about, let me pull up. You might be talking about the new one. It's probably the new one that I... It's probably the one that says "Keep up the fight." Yeah, yeah, it was that one. I, I yeah, really like and I have the mug and stuff too. I have that T-shirt actually. <laughs> I wanted to comment on what y'all are talking about. Uh, so, case the, what it looks like is convincing workers strike back to use co-ops and union co-ops to do the union organizing. Because check it out. Where's the money going to come from for a strike fund and the mutual aid required to be on strike? It's got to come from the profits of businesses the workers own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's- co-ops is a whole part of the co-op movement. Like I'm on the union co-ops council on the USFWC because my my co-op is a union co-op. Uh-huh. So that's how you that's how you sell it to workers strike back. You you show them that doing co-op organizing and bringing that into their organization is going to fund all their organizing. Uh-huh. Yeah, so that's what I'm talking about. It's just the strategy um, of when we when, when we do organize with them or even us amongst each other, because Workers Strike Back is just an organization. You know, when we, you know, Savvy's working on her RBN chapter, you know, I'm working on Mutual Aid Party. When we organize, um, we have to decide what that policy is going to be. What's the name? that we're going to brand around it, et cetera, et cetera. I got some examples for you um, that you could maybe you could reach out to. Florida natural. Florida's natural. You know the orange juice? Yeah. A farmer's cooperative since 1933. Land O'Lakes, cooperative since 1921. Cabot, the cheesemaker. Since cooperative family farm since nineteen nineteen. Okay, so you're naming cooperatives. Like, what's the strategy? I'm saying, get them on board. Yeah, the strategy is that you start these unionized co-ops, so that way the money can go from the businesses to the union to fund the strikes. That's the strategy. So, so I'm in New Jersey. You seize the right? means of production and then if, use it for, to organize. I'm in New Jersey, and um, so and, and I, so, what would I would do? I would be reaching out to like an organization, like a workers' strike back, to say, "Hey, let's organize. Let's start a company." That's a, yeah. Let's find a co-op friendly. Let's start a co-op friendly. Let's find a co-op friendly union because not all unions are co-op friendly because mm-hmm. they're taken over by capitalists. And that's the other way you sell it to workers strike back is you say this is how we destroy and run the capitalists out of the union is that we take the unions over with socialist businesses. So, it, it, for example, Marco, we were sh- talking yesterday, and so you're like the organization, the co-op that you're working on. That's that's maybe a better example. Like you're working on your web app co-op cooperative, 
and then that could be something that you can be used that when the profits are created for the people a percentage of it can be put to the side for a um, strike fund etc cetera, etc cetera. is that what you're talking about marco exactly because now when my co-op joins the union i'm not only a co-op organizer i'm now a union organizer because i'm a member of the union and i can go organize in the union yeah. i have access to the union's funds by going to them and being like hey let's do this kind of organizing let's let's start these businesses let's grow our union by building you know it's constantly this in order to grow the union without co-op you have to constantly be organizing workers on the ground and that costs a lot of money and that's hard to do so if you organize people by putting them into union businesses you grow the union in each business you can also organic valley that's another uh, dairy farmer cooperative so roger are you saying to reach out to these cooperatives and then sure. have see if they'll be interested in yeah sure because because cooperatives are more likely to want to join a union because they're already a union so also i'm saying they could probably even show you how to start cooperatives as well you know um, even though they've been up and running since 100 years or whatever the case is um but oh by the way or you find a way to organize a new business in a way that can help that business so that way you build that dual power. Right. You're building that supply chain. You build it. So, uh, by the way, uh, oh yeah. So ocean spray, that's a cooperative and ACE hardware is a retail cooperative. Wait, ACE hardware is a co-op. It's a retail cooperative. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I gotta tell, okay. I gotta tell my husband about that because He's the hardware store person. So yeah. I just, I had no idea. Holy crap. Yeah. So, so what, so what I'm saying is, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to build a web here, weaving a web here where I, I really do think that they, sh- the emphasis should, I mean, yeah, cause I, I definitely know where Marco is coming from by making sure that there's like unions and cooperatives, but we have to have the cooperatives there first. So that we can have the- and not every co-op needs to be a union, right? Like not every, not every co-op's going to need a union, but some co-ops actually need unions too. Yeah, exactly. So what I'm proposing um, for you to tell you know, Shamus Awan, whenever you talk to her, whatever the case is, right, uh-huh. is to emphasize cooperative ownership. Okay, more than you. You, I say unions in the public sector cooperative ownership in the private sector. Plus along with what Marco was saying about make also a space for unions to exist within the cooperative as well. You feel what I'm saying? Well, 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 I mean, I would, I would just phrase it a little differently because co- uh, kind of like with, with Chattel slavery, right? That was, there was, there was public and private sector slavery. And now there's public and private capitalism. So even if it's public, it still needs to be co-op. Okay. I wouldn't know. Yeah, you'd have to educate me on how that works. But um, that's what I'm saying, Case, is if you can speak to a whatever. I mean, because here's the thing. Sabrina, you know it by heart. What is the definition of socialism again? Come on. Hello? Whoops, I was muted. Sorry. Socialism. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I was talking all this time. Socialism is when the, the workers own the means of production. And distribution and exchange. See what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So so if you're call if she's calling herself a socialist, but she's fighting for unions, doing the union thing, mm, I don't think that jives because the union thing is something that is set up to fight the capitalist thing. But the cooperative replaces the corporate business model of the capitalist thing. I just don't think one can call themselves a socialist if they're not fighting for cooperatives, but instead fighting for, to keep a capital system in place by just fighting for unions. You see what I'm saying? I agree, Roger. And unfortunately, lots of people call themselves socialists and don't agree with that. And it, it, it just burns me up. <laughs> yeah, we got to go in that A. Philip Rand. I'm talking about that A. Philip Randolph type of thing. You feel what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. you know, that whole the, that whole fight between uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, boys, uh-huh. the top uh-huh. 10 elite, uh, something t- t- talented 10, where only a few black people are qualified to lead the black people like Moses or whatever. Then you got the Booker T who always fought them, but they kind of like really capitalists also because they're talking about black business or whatever. But A. Philip Randolph was like, yeah, I'm for black workers, even though he didn't go, he was talking about unions, but there's nobody in our community that's actually talking about black workers. It's either the the boule or Mr. Black Businessman. You feel what I'm Can saying? You please explain the boule thing because not everyone knows what that means. It is uh, it is a, a, a selected black elitist leaders who are really selected by uh pretty much white folks that are way up at the top that are like, okay, you don't see them, but they use these black people to lead most of the black population to the so-called promised land, so to speak. So these would be people like Roland Martin, where he's being, he's letting himself be used by the Democrat party to keep sheep hurting us into the Democrat party. That's just like a little, a little, uh, little uh, uh, example, but pretty much boule means the bourgeoisie of our community, the bougie. It's so sad too, because he has a great analysis of how power works and he disagrees. He's in conflict with his own advice. Like he, he was talking about how um, the Latin community and um, the, the Jewish community, all these other communities, I remember a clip and I was thinking about clipping it in response to his tweet to Brianna Joy Gray about you don't have to vote for a Democrat. And he, he had a negative. Um, oh, he went crazy. Oh, yeah, my yeah. God. Yeah. And but he, I remember. Yeah, I would have he, to yeah, go back and look crazy, for it. But he'll but, never have that. Com- he went crazy, but he'll never have that conversation on his show with people who disagree, though. Have you guys noticed? That? I know. Right. I would yeah, love to see him talk to Sabi or Brianna about it. It can't that, be on his debate. show. It got to be in a neutral place. Yeah, because oh. he would just over talk, right? Yeah, it can't be on his show. But I'll, I'll finish this point real quick, and then I'll give it back to Florida Sabi. Was that he? He had a good clip, and I remember, and I clipped it. I have to go back and find it. And he was talking about like you have to never be satisfied. You have to never be satisfied when you're going to power and you're making requests. You have to make your request, and then you're coming right back. You're coming like making that that MLK almost that MLK reference when um you know he got. Johnson to do that first Civil Rights Act, but then 
Michael, uh, Martin Luther King was like, all right, I'm coming right back. And he was like, no, we need to take a break. And Martin Luther, Martin Luther King was like, nope, we, I'm coming right back. And I'm like, that's how we got to be. I'm not voting for Democrats if they're going to if they're going to be like Biden. I'm voting Green Party. It's not even a question They They are closer to my values. And that's what I demand from my politicians. And that's what I that's how I'm going to vote. Anyway, I, I'm giving back. The you know what, Case? It would be great to have someone like you go on his show because of the fact that like you listen to all all different parts of the spectrum like you you really do like when you do your clips like you get clips from like conservative media liberal media independent media like you cover all of it mm-hmm. I, i've i've clipped him before i was hoping that if he ever followed me because i don't think he his dms is open now you know usually I, a lot of people follow me people from msnbc like um what's his name hassan not hassan uh that i can't think of the the guy from uk you guys hate him now, but um, from MSNBC, he, he Mehdi Hassan. Oh, I can't think of his name. Yeah, um, so I, I've DM'd him before, but if Roland ever DM'd me, I would definitely be interested in going on his show. I don't know yes. how, you know, Sabi and Brianna. I can't hold a lamp, a, a light to their articulation, and Noel. I can't hold or, or you guys, Roger, everybody, but I'll try. <laughs> to, you gotta meet that guy on 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 neutral ground, because he's just gonna like blah 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 blah. <laughs> it was a good debate on with him with the PBD um, guys, PBD podcast with um, Brett David, Patrick Brett David. He was on that uh, podcast. I really enjoyed that conversation. Anyway. Yeah, like, I mean, for me, like, you know what? I, who I would like to talk to, but um, again, like, I'm too small for them to probably even get a follow, but uh, Mark Lamont, I would like to talk to Mark Lamont because, like, he shares the same position I do in reference to Israel and Palestine. Like, for those who are not aware, I know Mark Lamont has been in corporate media. Um, he was a part of Black News Channel, which um, was actually pretty pretty good like they got a lot of pushback from Cornell West too by the way but um Mark Lamont is a socialist and he doesn't hide that even when he was a part of Black News Channel he didn't hide that like he was very vocal about it but it would be great to talk to him about some of these issues in reference to like foreign policy and stuff like that but um if I did talk to Roland Martin you know I'd have to hand him his ass back to him because you know he's just he's just so he he gives me jason johnson vibes the whole like when uh jason johnson said the island of misfit black girls he gives me those kind of vibes and that's what pisses me off about roland martin because when i look at like our our black elders i feel like he's a part of that group that is just purposely holding black people back. I don't feel like uh-huh. he really wants to radicalize black people. I feel like he wants us to just remain still in the status quo. He wants us to argue about police brutality. He wants us to be upset about those things that happen to black people, but he don't want us to step outside our lane. And I really can't rock with people that don't want us to step outside our lane. And that's why I had to hand Keith Oberman his ass on a silver platter because I saw that shit with him the way that he was really disrespecting black people on Twitter and I had to say it I had to say it because it's just like no I ain't got time for it 
I'm so sick and tired of people trying to keep us in the status quo. I've been, we've been in the status quo my whole life. It's time. I'm curious, Savvy, what you what do you think about RFK Jr. calling Ice Cube uh, a civil rights leader in his tweet? Uh, uh, have you heard about that? Say what now? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know about that either. That's a, I was curious. That, that just because I was thinking, like, who is our current um, radical leader? You know, definitely Cornell West. But I mean, people who are of that that stature, that's very popular. Like, who's our Malcolm X? Who's our MLK? And I wouldn't even put um, William Barber in the same category as MLK because MLK was pushing. You know, he was pushing, pushing, pushing. Well, William Barber, he took over the Poor People's Campaign, but I don't see him out there pushing. Like, he didn't even endorse Bernie back when Bernie was a thing. You know? He's a Democrat. Yeah. So, like, that's not radical. We just go ahead I hate, I hate to quote a white guy on this subject, but Chris Hedges, when asked this question, where are these leaders? He's like, well, they're either in prison or they're killed. That's so true. That yeah. is so true, Marco. Yeah, because all he's doing is, one time he, I saw him defend Kamala Harris about her being a black woman or something like that. I was like, ah, no, you're supposed to be like anti-politic, an, sorry, anti-partisan, non-partisan. Barber, you're not supposed to be like. Sorry, I can't say this on YouTube, but I'm gonna call in. So I'm gonna say it on here. A lot of these Negroes is just basic, okay? Yeah. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry, they're not really trying to push the envelope in a way that would, you know, affect their paycheck. (laughs) Uh Let's just keep it real. They're really not. A lot of them are not. Like, they want to make sure that they can maintain um, their their status, especially once they've gotten used to that type of lifestyle. But Roland Martin's one of those people, like, again, like I said, like, that dude, how you going to sit up there? You'll talk about police brutality. You'll criticize it. You'll criticize, like, yeah, well, Democrats need to do more for Black people. But as soon as somebody tell you to step outside of that and do something different, then it's like, well, no, 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 we can't do that. You know, he on the plantation, too. And and I would tell him that, too. It's not just Keith Oberman. You got people like Roland Martin still on the plantation. Reverend Barber, he's like, we're leading the Poor People's Campaign. And we're going to do this march and this summit. And we're going to go to D.C. And we're going to ask, like, Joe Biden and tell him, you know, we need to help the poor people. First problem is you ask him. You don't ask Joe Biden to do anything. You need to demand it. Second problem is you you expect for establishment Democrats, a party that's corporate, you expect them to actually reach out and help black people after all these years when they've chosen not to do so. You know, he's still on the plantation, too. And just because you a pastor don't mean you get a pass from me. So the thing is, is I just kind of look at it as though some of these people who do have those platforms and they're, they're, they say they're advocating for the black community. They're only advocating for a certain extent to a certain point where they're still comfortable and they're not pushed out of their financial place. And that's a big part of the problem. So the thing is, is like you can't count on them to bring you any type of radicalism or any type of revolution they're still going to be in their comfy homes and they're still going to be enjoying 
the wealth and the life that they have accumulated for themselves. Let's be real. Do we see Roland Martin out there feeding and clothing people? Why, if Roland Martin really care about the black community, why ain't Roland Martin out there in Detroit trying to help Rome finish this damn library off? Where is Roland Martin when Rome is doing tour for the poor traveling all across this country? You know what I'm saying? So it's just, I, I don't have, you know, it just, it, it, they give me like, uh, and give me a woman. Who's the woman who's a part of this? Joy Ann Reed. She another one. These people, they're not really trying to lead us to any type of radical change. They want to keep us in the status quo so that they can maintain their own positions that they have. They're giving me Bill and Claire Huxtable vibes. And if you remember from the Cosby show, Bill and Claire Huxtable, yes, there were issues that they had to deal with throughout that show. But for the most part, they still maintained to be in the status quo. They never stopped, stepped outside of that. And you guys got to understand that when people praise the Cosby show and they say, oh, well, the characters were so vibrant and unique and they really woke us up. Nah, they never went outside the status quo. And that's why that show was so popular with white America, because right, exactly. they stayed in the status quo and people have to really pay attention to that. So his 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 whole thing was. Hey, look, we can be successful too, and and to show a good light to hey, a black doctor, uh, um, a husband doctor, and a uh, lawyer wife. But let me ask you, in case this, Sabrina, you know why Roland got fired from CNN, right? No, I didn't know he was fired. He violated his journalistic integrity when him and what's oh, the- I know you're talking about now. What was yeah. that? Uh, at, at the debate, that other woman, who was the other woman? Um, who was the woman that but was the DNC, the black lady? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. DNC. Oh, um, Duvall? Donna Brazil? No, no, no. Donna. Yes. Donna? Donna Brazil. There we go. Right, right. And so, they gave the information to Hillary Clinton in advance. Wait, right. do what now? No, hold on. Let me, let, me, let me say, let me say. You go ahead, Roger. He was feeding, he, they were, him and Brazil were feeding uh, questions they were going to ask both Bernie and Hillary at the debate, but they were feeding it to Hillary beforehand. So then they got caught out there by CNN. It's just like, nah, man, you, know, you got to go. Uh, especially it was the one on, um, I think it was the one on. Let that sink in, Sabrina. <laughs> well, see, that's why I will never be in the sea. This is why he would never bring me on because I would ask that damn question. <laughs> Some people would be very nice and be like, well, thank you for having me on. I'd be like, great. Why did you feed questions to Hillary Clinton during the campaign? Before mm-hmm. the debate. Mm-hmm. I got some, I got a little bit of uh, New York news that, that just happened. The, there was a, um, what do you call it? A, a case. So what happened was Democrats had lost the House because of the jerry-rigging that was going on in New York State because uh-huh. they they because you notice they lost by like a little hair's margin. Yeah, it's because the, the governor like fucked it up. It, the Democrats fucked it up or whatever. So I think they got a call from um, uh, Pelosi or DeAnne or whoever from the Democratic establishment. Like, yo, uh-huh. y'all need to fix this shit, right? Yeah. So just reading like three lines from this particular article. An appellate court on Thursday, this, this, is a, this is not a federal appellate court, this is a state appellate court. 
An appellate court on Thursday sided with Democrats in a bid to have congressional lines redrawn in New York, home to multiple battleground seats. Clearly, the appellate court judges were writing for the Court of Appeals. That's our Supreme Court. We don't call our top court Supreme Court. We call the Court of Appeals in New York State. Knowing that this case is heading one step to the state's highest court for final review, said Jeff Weiss, an adjunct professor and senior fellow at New York Law School. The judges today anticipated today what the Court of Appeals might be looking at. It's a contrast from a year ago when the Republican-supported lawsuit successfully challenged the legislative drawn lines for the state Senate and the U.S. House. The, the process was thrown to a special master who drew lines that immediately were rebuked by Democrats. So, you know, in other words, they cheating, just like the Republican Party's cheating with the gerrymandering. I remember they lost, the DNC lost his own seat because of that gerrymandering. Yeah. Remember? That white, that white uh, guy, and um, that we're going to see what happens with the new, you know, DNC Hakeem Jeffries. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how no, he's, he's going to. Well, do he, he's, you're talking about Jamie Harrison. He's the new DNC guy. No, old, um, the old. I said DNC. I, was, I think it's the D Triple C. That he, Sean oh. Patrick Maloney. He used to be right. He lost his seat because of right. that in, in New York. <laughs> yes, because he jumped into Mondaire Jones. Jones. He messed that all up while losing his own seat. Yeah, they could have left Mondear Jones there, and he probably would have won. He probably would have had a better chance at winning. But um, to Sabby, to what you said about um Joy and Reed, like she waited till after Bernie dropped out to then start talking about Medicare for all. Like I mean, it's just no, so she's just, shameful. She, <laughs> you know, she she just like Joanne Reed, like you can see right through her. And what's funny to me about her is like she'll be quick to bring up like race and be like, well, it's because of race or racial issues or whatever, except mm-hmm. when it's in reference to the Democratic Party. She'll never bring those conversations up. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll tell you one thing. When she she had an interview with that black Republican Donald something Payne was Donald Payne. I don't I forgot his last name, but um I hope you guys remember. He's from the House of Representatives. He's a black uh, Republican, young guy too. Yeah, big um, dude. Yeah, yeah, big guy. And he, she had an interview with him, and she was acting like Sean Hannity, like kept cutting him off. Cut, guy couldn't get a, 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 a anything out. And my wife and I, she, she really, she's a very smart woman, and she's would like I could talk to her about politics, but she hates politics. I think it's because I'm into politics so much. So by the time I come talk to her, she's like, I'm so tired <laughs> of you listening to politics all day. But anyway, we were both <laughs> watching it and she was like, Yo, this girl Joy and Reed didn't even let him talk. I wanted to hear what he had to say. And she's not she's more independent minded. She's not like Democratic or Republican. So she actually wanted to hear what Donald had to say about CRT and they were articulating some different views. And Joy and Reed just was so like talking mm-hmm. over him that it, it made her look bad. You know, it, it was very mm-hmm. sad. I don't want you going on, 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 on there. You'll get, you'll get teamed up. Cause you wouldn't just be fighting Roman Martin. You'd be fighting all his, his, uh, the minions. And I don't know, the Kamala Harris lady and some other lady, you, you got to take a, a, a few people with you if you're going to go on there, Sabrina. Yeah. <laughs> Let me say something. You know, um, we've been looking at the numbers and stuff, too. And, like, it's showing over time, like, more African-American men are leaving the Democratic Party 
yeah. and are voting Republican. And my question is, why the men, but not not the women? Why the men go into Republican, not just register an independent? If you want leverage, have leverage in both parties and become the swing vote of the swing vote. Push the independent registration percentage past fifty percent. I think if um, and this is I guess it's a little bit off topic. I think if Cornell West gets the Green nomination, we should de facto called the Green Party the Black Party. And you see how many black people are to just jump on board and vote for Cornel West. I think that would be interesting. <laughs> what y'all think? I'm staying by my party abolitionist. <laughs> He's like, no parties. I don't, I don't believe in parties. I and one more thing, Sa- I want to ask Sabi, what do you think about um, recru- if they recruited Jesse Ventura as Cornel West's VP? Because he, he was a former governor. You know, he's got that experience. I'm just curious what you think. Or is it too far gone? Jesse's not going to uh, run. He okay. at, uh I think, a month or two ago. Like, he's he doesn't, I don't think so. Uh, okay. I should bring Jesse back old. on, though. I should reach back out and bring either him or his son back on because um, yeah. it's been a while. I would love to hear what he thinks about Cornell. Cause I don't know if he spoke on it yet about Cornell West running as a green and if he would support Cornell. And I'll be curious if he would endorse, if he could be a surrogate because he could, he knows people in the media that he could potentially get out there. Just like how matter of fact, I just retweeted that Cornell West was on CNN recently. I didn't even see that yet um, on that, that lady's uh, new show. I forgot. I can't think of her name that she interviewed Trump. Everybody was so mad about it um, at that town hall. But she got her own show now at 9 p.m. And apparently he was on that show. So I got to watch it after this. Uh... Someone uh, mentioned earlier the um, RFK. Bring it back up here. Oh, yeah. RFK and uh, Ice Cube. I, I put a link to it in the uh, in the chat a little bit earlier. I'll put it in again. But uh, But, yeah, apparently there was a meetup. And then Robert F. Kennedy Jr. tweeted, oh, and then it's a picture of RFK Jr., Ice Cube, and Dennis Kucinich. And then RFK Jr. tweeted, Dennis Kucinich and I spent a wonderful, wonderful evening with one of our country's most influential and outspoken civil rights leaders, Ice That's Cube. That's it. <laughs> so, that happened. Oh, he called Ice Cube a civil rights leader? That's too strong. That's too strong of a word. No, I so Ice Cube, so Ice Cube seems to be all excited about RFK Jr. So. No, he's no. not. He actually has tweeted out. I saw him. I did see Ice Cube tweet out that like he was he was not happy about the fact that people were making assumptions that he was supporting RFK. He's not. He said I have not announced I'm supporting anybody. Yeah. RFK Jr. came to his basketball game and they took a picture. Yeah. That's all that That's was. That's all that was. Yeah. And people made that something bigger than what it was. It's just like, you know, if if I went somewhere and I ran into someone, I'd be like, "Hey, let's get a picture." You know, that's all it is. It's just yeah. like when people lost their shit when me and Jimmy took that picture when I went to Jimmy's show. Me and Greg went to Jimmy's show. Remember that, uh, Eric? We went to Jimmy's show and we oh, took yeah. that picture and I put it on Twitter and people were like, "Oh my god!" They were like. Sabrina's for Sabrina is like uh, 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 a white supremacist and all stuff. I was like, they're like Sabrina went 
went to go see Jimmy across. I was like, dude, that was right here in Massachusetts. You guys are so stupid. <laughs> like like cop chasing then going after Ice Cube. They always you know, do that. Ice Ice Cube has this organization called the Big Three. And it's supposed to be an alternative to the NBA. So um, RFK Jr. was at the big three. I don't think it was a playoff, but he was at that that game. Yeah. He was at the game. I have a coworker that he went to that game. And it's more like a league for ex-NBA basketball players who – left the league who got too old to so like Allen Iverson was um on the big three for a little while and all people mm-hmm. who have retired can go to this and they only play three on three and then they even have a four point um circle that you could get four points if you could shoot from that far back. It's an interesting league. Um but the M- he has been getting uh hate and cock blocking from the NBA because I guess they like to control every aspect of everything out there that has yep. to do with basketball. <laughs> yeah, go ahead Who gave you that idea? <laughs> no, it's no, you're right about that one. They do like to control all of it. But the thing is, is like, I mean, I think, you know, there was also the amateur basketball league that was started too. I don't know who started it, but I thought that was a great idea. Like, there's and so one too. People, you ever heard of N1? That was, I remember N1, but there was another one recently that was the amateur basketball league. I was watching it on TV and I was like, this is such a good idea because you guys know how many people like don't make it to the NBA. Most people don't, but that doesn't mean they're not good basketball players. So that kind of gives them a, an outlet, you know, a, a way to still play yeah. and not just in the gym. Yeah. And, and they have the gate, the G league, which is, the, um, is like the D league, but Gatorade is sponsoring it. So they call it the G league. And it's supposed to be like, a form to the major leagues, and but uh, of course the NBA controls it. But I like that a, a couple of years back that um, I think LeBron and Carmelo Anthony they got together and said, "Hey, you guys need to pay these people more." Oh. I don't, I don't even know what it ended up being though. It's like, is it the minimum wage forty thousand, Roger? I don't, I don't even know. It's still not great. Com- oh, Sabrina, I missed, I missed the uh, the cookout that. Christian Smalls had. <laughs> I was like, I was going to ask you, Case, hey, Case, let's go to this cookout that Christian Smalls is having at JFK 8 to ask him some questions or whatever, but I just realized that was on the 11th. <laughs> oh, I passed already. Yeah. Was that I'm in New Jersey. I'm not in JFK. My parents live out there in JFK, but I'm not out there. Yeah, but it's in Staten Island. That's Oh, Staten Island? Yeah, that's not too far. Mm. Let's bring in Lysol. Lysol's been waiting for a second. Lysol. Lysol, what's up? Hey, man? how's it going, Case? Good. Hey, Sabi, how you doing? Great. How are you? So I was wondering. I'm 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 Bay Area based. I don't know how far how far his influence goes. Are you with Bootsy Collins? I am very much so. He uh, he has a new show out on Amazon uh, called I'm a Virgo. Have you have you watched it at all yet? I haven't yet. I heard about it though. It's um it's I mean it's the same same kind of vibe as uh, Sorry to Bother You. Uh, you kind of like 
you know, social, socialist critique of capitalism with like an absurdist twist. Like the main character is like a, a 13 year old black boy or like a 13 foot tall black boy and kind of just like, uh, kind of like an exaggeration of like how people view like young black males. But there's a really good, a uh, couple really good segments that are about like, they talk about like the crisis of capitalism, how like, you know, capitalism like impoverishes its workers, which then can't buy the products, which means that they have to cut wages again. And, uh, you know, and um, yeah, I highly recommend y'all were talking about who like the civil rights leaders are like now. And I'd say at least in the Bay Area, in like a local sense, I, I'd consider Bootsy one. Yeah. For those who don't know, Bootsy Collins, um, he made a movie called Sorry to Bother You. You should watch it if you haven't seen it. It was on Netflix um, and it critiques capitalism, but also like that's just his, that's him. Like he critiques capitalism. He identifies as a communist, I believe, from what I read, um, but he's just very outspoken and like vocal. Like you should definitely, definitely watch Sorry to Bother You. That is a really good movie. Um, but yeah, he loves to to talk about things. I'll check it out, Lysol. Go ahead, Case. Is it Boots Riley or Boots? I think somebody said Boots Collins. Oh my god! I, Sorry, I said I said Bootsy Collins. I meant Boots Riley. Oh, I, I knew who he was talking about, though. I knew. Who I knew you spoke about too, but I was like, wait a minute. I think it's Boots Riley, but I have to. I heard about it. Is it completely done? And it's a TV show, not a movie. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a seven episode TV show. I'll li- I'll Gosh. drop a pirate link so you don't have to go to. Okay. Okay. You got me up here thinking the guy that used to play for James Brown is a communist. We used to do that sort of groove is in the heart. <laughs> Wait, the guy that played for who? Bootsy Collins used to play for James Brown, and he did in the nineties or maybe the late eighties. Um, he was part of that group, Delight. You know, groove is in the heart. No, I remember D-Light. I didn't realize that same guy played for James Brown, though. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Groove is in the heart. That whole 60s thing going on. Oh, by the way, I want to mention about the um, guest that you had on today. So, um, it, it, it this exemplifies why independent candidates make the electorate smarter because i'm pretty sure you me and people on there were or that was watching were going oh i like that oh i don't like that oh i like that oh i don't like that oh i like i'm pretty sure people were going back and forth with she she on board for this policy but not that policy and what mm-hmm. it does is you see it makes you uh, 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 an informed voter, because what happens is, and this is this is the beauty of why getting rid of political parties is important, right? So if you got a bunch of independent candidates, now you are forced to find out where they are on policies, because then you're forced to prioritize what's most important to you. Because the thing is, is that uh, you are going to have to come face to face with the fact that uh, you're not going to have the ultimate candidate that is like, boom, that like covers everything. So eventually you're going to have to prioritize what's most important. Now, here's the thing, which is why 
we should also push our own citizen ballot initiatives. So you see, this is what I make an analysis with. A candidate is like that cable package, okay? You don't like everything that's in all these channels, like, oh, can I not just have that channel? Nope, it's part of the package. Oh, but I don't like that channel. Okay, well, you could go to this this package right here. Oh, but then I'll lose that. I'll lose those channels. Oh, well, all right, you got to take whatever it is that package is. Now, the ballot initiative are more like streaming services you download. You do it on a piece-by-piece -piece basis. You can scrutinize which ones specific you want to push. You see what I'm saying? So a combination of both of those. Oh, and by the way, Case, you should definitely let her know about public banks and pushing citizen ballot initiatives in the states. Because we're not because not just pushing them where they already are allowed, but pushing state lawmakers to place an initiative before their voters that would give them well, options. Shama, I was gonna say Shama knows about that because she was a part of it. But she yeah, you know when she would when she even when she had a recall campaign instead of instead of fighting the recall campaign, she just started a ballot initiative. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, Roger, like she was, remember, she's in Seattle, Washington. That's a BI state. So like, true. She was, she was I just didn't see it on the platform. That's all. I want to yeah. know what they're doing, period. Like, I know they're starting to rev up for coming strikes are coming up soon. But like, I just want to know what are they doing? Like, we will find out I mean, at the labor summit at the RBN okay. labor summit. It's I mean, it is the Worker Strike Back Summit, so. When is that? Wait, I just, I didn't know about this. That's only like a week. Of, hold on, let me see. Let me check my calendar. How did I miss this? Oh, no. Like, we put I it on Twitter. Like, that's why. You know what? I'm not on, I, I post to Twitter, but I, I'm not on Twitter as much as probably people think. It's so July I 29th. I apologize if I missed that. So July 29th. And then um, Eric, or you know what, Ken, I'll, I'll probably just look for it. I'll look at on Albion's Twitter and see if I find information. So is it like a, a whole bunch of people um, going to be on, on the stream all day like how we usually do? Or is there an actual physical place to go to? It's a summit. It's a summit. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's a summit. So um, it is... Um, uh, shoot, what you call it? It is um, a couple hours. See, the thing is that day, that is actually the day of the RBN barbecue here in Boston. So I won't be on the summit until that evening just because we do have the barbecue from 12 to 2 p.m. Um, but I'll be on there with Ryan. Ryan's from Worker Strike Back. Shama will be a part of it as well. So it is a it is the Worker Strike Back Summit. So all this stuff. And then another thing is I know Rome is trying to get the UPS guys on there too, like on the ground. Uh -huh. So that is a chance where you can find out like, what are they doing? Like I get emails from them like every other week, actually every week um, uh -huh. to talk this, talking about what they're doing. But uh -huh. I do know that their number one, their big issue. And Terry was there for me at the, with me for the one in Boston, their number one big issue is unionizing Amazon across the country. 
So that was something that they they did say that is the big focus. And that makes sense because that will be the hardest to do. But if you can do that one, then you can do others. So um, I do know like that's a big thing that they're working on, but I do get emails from them every week. Do you? I, um, I'm on their email listserv. But uh, I, and I see it every so often, so I'll say that much. Now I went to RBN. I didn't see anything there, but I'm, I'm on the Worker Stripe back. And I see they have a, a, a Canvas event July 15th that I did not know about that at the Barclays Center. Um, Roger, if you go to that, that'll be interesting. If I could check you, see you there. I don't know if I'm exactly going, but that's something. What is it that at the Barclays Center? There's a um. It says Prime Time to Unionize Amazon Mega Canvas at Barclays Center, July fifteenth, from two p two p.m. to five p.m. And Isn't that Friday or something? What? Isn't that today? No, it says Saturday. Saturday. Today's the fourteenth, so okay. it's Friday right now. So Saturday, this Saturday. But um, I do not see anything about this event that Sabby's talk telling me about. What the heck is going on? You're, you're not going to you're not going to see that on their page. This is an RBN thing. I went on RBN. I didn't, I didn't see unless no, I'm missing not, something. It's not posted yet. We don't post. You know, we don't usually post the summit stuff until like the day before. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You you way ahead of the curve, case. Yeah, thank <laughs> you for letting me know then, because I did. I thought I thought I missed out on something. I'm like, wait, I, I guess I'm out of the loop or something. But um, let me check. I, I haven't checked at RBN DM also the group that we have. So I'll check that also. I don't know if anything's in there, but all right, just keep. So, I'll keep looking. So also, yeah. so also, um, Sabrina, when you was talking about like Washington State and being a uh, ballot initiative state, I want to really emphasize that it's only for law. They can't use the process for uh, to place their own amendments on the ballot. So right, that's what is more important because you do law, they can just repeal it or alter it without having to ask you. Unlike if it's an amendment, then they have mm-hmm. to ask you before they repeal it. So she has, you know, they, she, them have to have to know that. Well, I mean, you saying they're going to be there. Saturday. But Shaman, I would love to say Shama knows that. Remember, she was, she's the city, city councilor. So she's, she's very familiar with how this works. In fact, she was a part of like, remember when whole Washington was doing that ballot and um, launching for that ballot ballot initiative. Right. Remember Shama signed on for that too. So like, she's very aware of how this works. Okay. Yeah. Is she coming to Brooklyn? Is, what, is that what you're saying case? Yeah, actually a, a mega canvas. Well, I don't know if Shama's going to be there, but um, Orchestra Back has a canvas event this Saturday to 5 p.m. I just retweeted it because I just saw that. I like. And you said what time? Two p.m. to five p.m. Okay. Yeah, and one thing to keep in mind too is that um, Shama's only one person, right? So, yeah, I know, I know. I, yeah. I need to. No, I'm not, I don't mean it that way, Roger. I'm just saying that, like, sometimes I have to remind myself of that too. Like, she's only one person, and it does take a community of people. Yeah, there's a cool guy named Michael Smith that he called me the day that they were doing that event that I went to and I met Brianna and um, Chris Hedges. And he's just calling people to, um, you know, kind of organizing to make sure that we I knew about it. And I was like, yeah, so tell me tell me about yourself. Uh, and I, I have a, a channel myself and da da da. 
and he works with Sharma Sawant, you know, on her campaign in Seattle. And I was like, I would love to have you on my show. So um, I'm hoping to have him. He gave me his email, but I, I think they're so busy. At least I like to assume the best instead of assuming the worst when people don't get back to me. So um, I'm hoping that it's more that he's so busy with working strike back that he can't get back to me, him and Sharma and the person who schedules Sharma. Cause like every, it feels like once a month they will hit me back. Like, Oh, I'm so sorry for missing the last email. Ken, we set up a new appointment. I'm like, Oh sure. Yeah. Let's set up a new appointment. And then it'd be like another month later, but I'm so sorry. <laughs> so, but uh, I, I figured they're so busy, but um, I'm looking forward to interviewing both of them and, and, getting to know more of them because we need to duplicate Shama. So let's say this Michael who you, Smith is... Who are you talking good. about? Shama and who? I'm sorry. Uh, I think his name is Michael Smith. Let me look at my contact. I got him in my phone. Very nice guy. And I'm sure um, he's got a lot of knowledge. You know, he's worked. he worked in Shama's um, staffing office. Um, Michael Smith? Oh, I think Maybe he's... You, you think you might have met him? Matt Smith. There you go. I'm sorry. Matt Matt Smith. That sounds familiar. Oh. And he's with Socialist Alternative. He worked with um, Shama as a staffer, I believe. And I wanted to interview him to find out some more information that, you know, about organizing. How does, what does it take to organize? Because this is things, people who are in the streets should be, I, I would hope they're educating us who have Twitter fingers. Like I'll speak for myself. That's more online and would like to get into the street as much as I can. I have a family. I have two autistic children that I have to take care of. And, and so I, I don't have a lot of time, but as much as I can, I would like to get active. You know, recently I went to a, a documentary in New Jersey, Mount Clear, New Jersey. There was a documentary on, it's called Rising Safety. I think, no, no, not Rising Safety. Um, Something Safety. And it's basically about police abolition, reimagining safety. There it is. And it was about police abolition. It was an excellent documentary. I can't wait for it to come out so I could buy it and watch it with my dad again. And um, like these are the type of actions going to that worker strike back uh, and meeting Brianna Joy Gray and and uh, Chris Hedges. These are the type of things I want to get around other activists and be in community with them. And which is why I love coming on Sabby's call-ins because this is where I can talk with Roger and he could give me his strategy ideas, talk to Noel, Eric and with his demands and we could kind of especially Marco has always have great ideas as well and we could kind of converse and and strategize before going out there and taking action kind of shop it around each other and, and then go from there, you know I want to go back to, um, thanks so much, Case. I want to go back to Noel. Noel, anything else you want to add? Because it's, I know it's been a minute. <laughs> oh, no, not really. Um, I just find the discourse so interesting and engaging because, you know, outside of, you know, calling and listening to the podcast, you really don't get this type of um, experience otherwise. And so, you know, as much as I talk, I like to listen as well, because I know I am not as in-depth in some of the um, actions. You know, I am, I, I'm good at contextualizing certain things as I see them. And, you know, I get a certain amount of hope when I hear, you know, what's going on on the ground, so to speak, because you know, the cynic and pessimist in me really um, 
just take over. I just don't see this thing coming to pass. Um, but when I hear other people talking about real actions, it does help me um, understand that there are some things going on. It's just that I am not aware of. So it's a good thing. Noel, did you see um, Sabrina her doing her last segment on Ohio? Yeah, about the vote no on issue one. Well, that's what the campaign is here. I don't think um, that is going to pass in terms of changing the process to require 60 to amend the Constitution versus the 50 plus one, uh, because there is a campaign going to support vote no on issue one. And there is not a whole lot of other counter narrative to support voting for issue one. So yeah. I think it's going to fail. And then the issue about um, bodily autonomy comes up in November, which will be the abortion thing. So um, hopefully, you know, it'll be no in August and yes in November. So what you're seeing on the ground is there's a lot of hoopla, a lot of a lot of like advertising or, or whatever to, to vote no against it. It's, they were not able to sneak it under the cover of night. Yeah, there's there's a campaign against it. So you see the commercials and this and that. And the people who are for the issue in um, November to deal with the um, bodily autonomy thing in terms of making medical decisions, um, I heard they turned in double the amount of signatures yeah, required. Yeah, I heard so, that. It, it looks positive, but it just goes to show you, um, you know, and I don't know which organizations or where the money is that created that campaign to vote no on issue one. But it just goes to show you that there are people out there. And if you strike them the wrong way, they get motivated and active really quick. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, trying to tie that type of active activity in with regular, more mundane day-to-day -day issues. It's yeah. like, you know, when they reversed Roe, they really stirred a hornet's nest in terms of women, you know, because women of all colors and stripes and, you know, um, political ideologies, they understand that they are less um, able in a society where Roe has been removed by whatever the means and so it has really been um, a clarion call, but I don't know if it just translates into a, a broader awareness that, you know, these people who are, you know, we have the nuts running the hen house. And I just don't understand why people can isolate it to the row issue and not see across the whole spectrum that this type of bigotry and isolationism is just not good. No, and I, I totally hear where you're coming from, Noel. And one of the things I will say, like talking to Judge Joe Brown, I think like he gets it in reference to like, he got some things to work on, but he gets it in reference to like the FBI and, and shit like that. Like he totally gets that. I could tell. And like one thing I didn't get a chance to mention because he, he, he talked a lot, but one thing I was going to mention to all you guys to make you aware is that 
I did my research ahead of time. So like I knew that he presided over James Earl Ray's appeal. So he was very much involved. Just to give you guys an idea in reference to this whole MLK, like um, MLK's like death, like that whole case around that, he was very much a part of that. So he's been, you know, involved in the inner workings. So he knew all the details and stuff. And that's why he was able to just, cause I know some people in the chat were just like, damn, he knows a lot of shit. When it comes to history, yeah, he does. He he has a lot of information. Like because remember, before he was a judge, he was a lawyer, and he presided over a lot of things. Like how many of you knew before that interview that he was a freaking intern when Joe Biden gave that fucking speech about oh we don't want to the, the the Negroes are going to turn the schools into Jews. How many of you knew that? You know, it's just it's one of those things that like. I read about, and and by the way, um, they contacted me. I, I didn't have contact info for Judge Joe Brown. Um, Dana, who is freaking awesome. You guys need to follow her, by the way. She's a YouTuber as well. She does a show with him every week, once a week, and it's called Man Up. And oh, he, I saw that. Yeah, I've seen he, that she contacted me and said, would you be interested in interviewing Judge Joe Brown? I was like, of course. You know, like I'd, I'd love to like I, a lot of these people I didn't have contact info for I couldn't find it or whatever but she contacted me and asked me if I would like to and I said absolutely I didn't know it would happen that fast you know but it did and another thing I want to let you guys know about you will never believe who called me Eric I think was this yesterday was today Thursday it was when I was off I think it was yesterday yesterday I got a call from RFK Jr's campaign what like, I don't even mean like another email response. I mean, they called me. Whoa. And at first I was like, who is this? Like, Because, you know, I don't recognize the number. And then I'm yeah. like, you trying to sell me something. Actually, he is trying to sell you something. But uh, you know what? I, it was it was his campaign. Yeah. And they finally called um, wow. and said that they moved me up in the queue. Oh, all so, right now. We'll, okay, we'll see. Finally. Finally, I'm, I'm looking forward to that interview. So the uh, ballot initiative strategy center, well, that's those because you were asking about the supports where they got the thing from. So they're located in D.C. They provide resources and help and money or whatever to states that push ballot that push progressive ballot initiatives and help to fight against bad ballot initiatives put forth. Just to answer your question. Hmm. That's good to know. I'm trying to get them to, uh, if I could get in contact with Melody Chris Fields, who's the president, to be like, what is the plan to get um, other states that, the other 33 states that can't do, that don't give their voters that option, to get the state legislature to allow them to do the same as the ballot initiative states. The only thing I could think of is uh, Bush, uh, Karl Rove. Okay, so in 2004, um, the Iraq war popularity was going the other way. So Karl Rove had to figure out a way to get people to the polls. So, oh yeah, you know about this here in freaking Ohio. Um, So what he did was he, the Bush administration pushed uh, uh, citizens in Ohio 
to place an initiative on the ballot for ratification that was a, a marriage thing where it was a marriage between one man and one woman. And it's funny yeah. because 2004, the vote between Kerry and Bush came down to Ohio, okay? So they used the bully pulpit to push a ballot. This wasn't even something put up by the Ohio government. It was put up by the citizens um, that, that uh, what do you call it? The Christian conservative, conservative, yeah. whatever it is. And they did that. So what I'm thinking is, okay, that is exactly how the, all these states that, are, that allow their voters to do to put their own initiatives on the ballot, that all came about during the progressive era, 1896 to 1917. So all 23 of these states gave them gave their voters that right in that era right there because you know the whole Teddy Roosevelt progressive era thing or whatever the case is. So I'm figuring maybe that's something I could probably ask West. You know what I mean to to use his bully pulpit during a campaign and let's say if he does become president to push, you know, to, to, to put pressure and leverage or whatever on the remaining 33 states that can't do it. So. Right. So what would be helpful next time I interview Dr. West, Roger, it would be helpful if you join. No, I thought we was going to have him come on calling so we could all ask him questions. I can try, but the thing is, like I said, I don't know how much, how longer Colin is even going to be around. Well, 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 that's we'll that's what I'm saying. Like you plan <laughs> something. Like when I plan interviews, a lot of times it's week in, weeks in advance, and then right, we'll see what happens. I guess I'm open to it. Why not? Yeah, I just don't know how. I don't know what what they're going to do with Colin. Like Rumble hasn't said anything, and they own it now, and it's just like you guys should probably say something. <laughs> You should probably say something. You know what cracked me up, though? What cracked me up is when Judge Joe Brown was like, he's a racist, <laughs> low <down dog." laughs> that racist, blah, 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 blah. I understand where you were coming from, Noel. He puts me on edge because, as Sabrina suggests, he has such an interesting inside background in history and he is so kind of brash in his declarations about things. You know, I'm like, it's amazing with some of the stuff he says that he has not been disappeared, so to speak. Mm. Because he just lays it out there. And I don't know whether, you know, he hasn't had the media reach or he comes across as so as a matter of fact, that people don't take him serious or this and that, but he is like a storehouse of information, you know, if you take the time to listen and, you know, cherry pick and, you know, pay attention to exactly, you know, what is said factually versus what is just his take on things. But he's a very interesting character. Well, remember he said, remember he said they tried to get rid of him. Yeah. He did say that. He said they tried to plan shit on him. And I was like, what? Yes, <laughs> and what no. killed me is what he said when he talked about that laptop. And he was like, by the way, there was three laptops. Three. And I was like, what? I'm and then when he said, 
when he said there's some interesting people who Hunter was interacting with. I'm mm-hmm. like, hmm, now that's curious because in order for it to be interesting, they have to be persons or personalities that are in the know. I'm who's, telling you, right? Yeah. Look, and when he said that, um, when he said they ought to be in jail, it's criminal what's on those laptops. Yeah. And I was like, Damn, Judge Joe Brown knows so much. And then I also thought to myself, I was like, I'm fear for his safety, but apparently he don't. Well, he just may <laughs> not care. Yeah, he, I don't think he cares because they did try to come after him. He had a couple of charges. I think he was arrested. Um, I, he they they tried to meet to him out of existence. Um, so so no, they've you know like they 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 come after they they come after him. He he's running for mayor right. Not only is he not worried, but he's running for mayor right now, right? In Memphis. Yeah, I have to finish that interview. I started and I, I watched a good chunk of it. But did he talk about any progressive policy or anything that he's doing that's radical as that he would do as mayor? I'm just curious. He said it's a, it's a people-powered campaign mm-hmm. and that it's all grassroots. He did talk about money in politics. He did talk about okay. that. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm wondering, something that I've been thinking about that you could do at the local level, right, um, at that mayoral city level, I was like, instead of you know, you can't do Medicare for all because you need a, a bigger population. That's why Vermont, at least that's what they said. Vermont couldn't do it because they didn't have enough money or whatever. But at the local level, I was I could imagine that if you could pay for police right at the at that mayoral city level, you can pay for a doctor, pay for like three doctors. They all um, do the different shifts like morning, afternoon, night shift. Like I work the night shift right right now, which is why I'm up and. They can provide, you can provide free health care or tax paid health care to that city. And now you're cutting out the middleman. You don't even have insurance. And it's at least the primary care. You know, you can't um, do brain surgery, unfortunately, but at least the primary care would be provided by the city. What do you all think? The problem with Vermont is that there aren't many people there. So in reference to policing, they actually defunded the police in Burlington, Vermont. And they ran into issues because they didn't do it the right way. They didn't have systems in place to take over where the police would no longer respond. Just because there just aren't many people in Vermont. And I know I go to Vermont every summer and I'm here to tell you, there's Burlington, Vermont. You go there. That's the city. (laughs) Just let everybody know. And the, the University of Vermont is also in Burlington. Outside of Burlington, ain't shit there. I'm, I'm just keeping it real. And you can drive up and down that whole state and see maybe a couple of houses. Like, it's just, there aren't many jobs there, which is also why there aren't as many people there. They were paying people at one point in time to move to Vermont. And they also did that for Maine, too. They were paying doctors and dentists to move to Maine because the ones that they had were retiring. And Maine just isn't one of those states that people would just move to because it's so cold. Like more so people that, are willing to move to Massachusetts because it's cold here, but not as cold as it is, as it is in Maine. I think the idea, um, it makes a type of sense, but it would not work here in Cleveland because you know, we're the home of the Cleveland Clinic Foundation and the mayor's office 
you know, I get the impression and the feeling that the mayor's office is in a deep type of coordination with these big hospitals here because they Mm. represent a significant industry. Mm. And that would be kind of counter or suggesting something about the situation here in terms of, you know, healthcare that the hospitals would not be amenable to. And, you know, it's, I'm at the point now where I'm starting to realize that these locally elected officials, especially in these major metro urban cities, are really at the disposal almost to the point of being puppeted by the big industries Mm -hmm. that operate in these cities because of what they represent to the employment as well as the tax base. So, you know, in terms of Cleveland, the downtown has enjoyed this significant type of urban renewal and, you know, upgrade and this and that. But the communities that surround and make up the balance of Cleveland neighborhoods are still suffering, especially on the east side of Cleveland, which is the predominantly black side. And, you know, for us to have had, you know, black mayor behind black mayor, you know, and a majority black city council, there is just nothing, you know, that seems to go on and the gentrification is happening. And it seems like, you know, they're just fine with it. No one's calling it out for what it is. You know, it's passing as a type of, you know, rehabilitation and this and that. But if you really pay attention, it's gentrification and the corridor that includes Case Western University, um, the Cleveland Museum of Art and Severance Hall that connects um, Euclid and takes you through down to um, the Cleveland Clinic Foundation and into downtown. That piece is being shinied up and made, you know, sparkling. But like I say, when you go to these neighborhoods, you'd be like, what the hell? And it's, you know, I I just know that, and you know, in my personal situation that I've kind of tapped into before with being, you know, the victim of this fraud, I have reached out to the mayor, the communication that I email him, he never respond to. I forwarded it to all 17 members of city council. Very few responded. And my council person happens to be the president of council. And, you know, it's just like, it's, I mean, my head spins around in terms of, you know, the way this city is operating. And a study just came out that placed Cleveland at the top of the major cities in the country with a whole lot of anxiety. And it's just like these anomalies just exist. And you think, how how is this happening? But when you're you have the black faces in the high places, including Chantel Brown as the congresswoman. People assume that there is a certain type of representation going on, but it's really not. It really is white supremacy in blackface. And I'm suspecting when I hear about Cop City in Atlanta and things like that is going on, you know, in all of these major metro urban cities that have black you know, mayors and stuff. The corporate community is still operating and and pulling all the strings. That's exactly. Let me tell you you something. Um, Whatever happened to the jail project in Ohio, Noel, because there were 
um, activist that came on, this was last year, about the, what is it, Kogaluga County Jail Project? And they were trying to stop stop that. They were trying to stop Cleveland from, I guess, building that jail or whatever. Whatever they were trying to do that jail. I, I can't remember all of it. it they long. were trying to rebuild because the current jail, which is under the county, has had a lot of problems in terms of deaths and, you know, safety hazards and this and that. And so the proposal was to build a whole new jail and then there got to be this argument about where to build it, this and that. But there's a segment of the community that was saying, no, we don't want that type of investiture spent on a jail. Let's, you know, work on spend that money otherwise so that um, a jail is not necessary. Because if you're rebuilding a jail with, you know, that capacity, and I think the capacity for the proposed jail, of course, is larger than the capacity of the old jail. What you're basically saying is we expect this level of crime and we're going to be locking this level of people up. And so there was some there's real resistance to it. Um, the new county executive, Chris Ronane, has announced that he has identified a site in a uh, part of the county um, called Garfield Heights, which is a near community to Cleveland. But of course, it is in Cuyahoga County. So there is still pushback. But, you know, what is missing in this environment at this particular time, and I mean nationwide is, and I've spoken about this before, is a media that is willing to partner and be, you know, the fourth estate for the voice of the people. These days, the media is just so in the pocket of the whole governance structure and people, that's a part of the problem that people don't realize. They just turn on the news or read the news. And and even, you know, some of the, we have some independent or local um, media outlets that, in terms of online media presences that have manifest in the collapse or near collapse of Plain Dealer, which had been the flagship newspaper here for years. But even they are, you know, they report certain things, but we rarely hear the stories like my story when I'm saying I've been a victim of corruption and this and that. They won't even respond to me. And so I know firsthand that these outlets are not covering certain stories and people are none, none the wiser. They just think everything's okay because you don't hear about it on the news. And so the effort to push back against the jail thing you hear around the edges if you're tuned in to certain things, but it's not like they're just prime timing it and, you know, this, that, and a third. So, you know, without a, a, a media that is with the masses to tell the stories that the masses need told and help us hold these elected officials accountable, it's just like a sinking ship. Mm. That is precisely reason why um, they need a public bank. A public bank would definitely solve a lot of those those uh, uh, issues in terms of not just bringing jobs, but infrastructure. Because the thing is, it sounds like another case of private equity and and whoever that, that's doing the regentrification and, and people who are pocketing the money, where public bank can come in and actually, you know, put that aside and 
be like, you know, have it have the money, the tax dollars stay local to help build up the community. I mean, they have a, I mean, not only is the state, does the state allow for citizens to place their own initiatives on the ballot to pass laws and ratify their own amendments, but even uh, Cayuga County and Delaware County have that ability also to pass local uh, ballot measures to, you know, so if they could, if they could, um, you know, that that's something that like, needs to get out there. But Case, do you know about the story of uh, of when uh, de Blasio shipped his homeless to your state? No, I did not hear about de Blasio shipping homeless to New Jersey. I did not hear about that. That was his way of trying to solve the homeless problem in New York City before he left office. He, he, uh, he gave him like a bunch of money put them on a bus, shipped them to Jersey City. Okay. And then after three months, they had a big homeless population. And Jersey City wow. Maine was like, where all these homeless people come from? They started asking them, oh, well, yeah, de Blasio gave us money and put us on a bus and brought us over here. But then our money ran out, so we became homeless again. And wow. he goes, from the Jersey City mayor was, got de Blasio on the phone, he cursed him out. <laughs> you know? That's crazy. You know, like, this is how you solve your homeless population, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I just want to comment real quick on what Noel said, that what she said reminded me of India Walton. You know, this was the first socialist, um, I think she was DSA candidate, that she won the Democratic primary uh, in for Buffalo, New York. And she was, it's a shoo-in in Buffalo that once you win the primary, you should win the general. And she should have been the mayor. But the all the establishment of that town came together. The governor, all the, all the, Kathy Hochul. The gov, yep. The governor, Kathy Hochul, um, and I'm, I'm sure that what reminded me of this, what Noel was talking about, was all the interests, the local interests. You know, that could be the real estate barons and all these different local interests got together and they devised that they would have a writing campaign for the original mayor, and yes. they even gave out a stamp. Because, you know, you can have um, dis- discrepancies if you write a letter wrong, if you spell the, the guy's name wrong or whatever. So they decided to give out um, stamps or, or a way to just put that there on the ballot instead of writing in the guy's name. And they won the writing campaign. Yeah. That's the extent that they would go to while in, in normal. Byron you know, Brown. Yeah. election. You, yeah, that's the name of the mayor. The, in a normal environment, if you said, oh, I'm going to run a writing campaign, everybody will laugh at you the same way they laugh at Cornell West running third party and all this. Oh, you're going to write in the campaign. Get out of here. And they actually ran a writing campaign and won the establishment because they put all their money, they put all their resources behind it and got it done. And that's the example that we need to point to, Case, when people say, like, why run third party? We could always point to that example. Like, didn't someone win under writing campaign? You know, <laughs> just saying. No, hundred percent. We could win. We 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 could definitely win. This is the environment for a third party. That's why no labels is about to run or trying to float or run Joe Manchin or who I think will. Be. I I would love for them to run Joe Manchin because he'll get like point zero zero one percent probably of the yeah, vote. Yeah, that shit would be funny. <laughs> Because here's the thing, they keep talking about we need Gen Z to come out and vote for us again. They definitely wouldn't support him. Totally not. All we need is for him to market 
I mean, definitely he's running as a Green Party, but if he could get some prominent black people to get behind him who want to see an independent run, and if we could get the grassroots, it, it has to be a perfect storm, similar to Bernie, but I hope Carnell has more cojones than Bernie to, to get the job done. But it will have to be a perfect storm, and, and we'll see what happens. Oh, I got a case. I meant to give you an update because you said your dad lives out here, right? Um, the so they're still going through with the uh, with the LIPA renewable. I mean, LIPA, LIPA, um, Long Island Power Authority, uh, 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 making it a public uh, public uh, power. But it looks like it's going to happen, especially since this we just the state just passed the bill. Public Renewables Act, where they're going to have, um, they're expanding the powers of the New York Power Authority to where I believe we're not going to have any more private power in the state, but they'll allow municipalities to to uh, to socialize their own power, municipalize their own power. So it seems like that's already. You know, I, I think I think what it is is like one thing I will say: New York did right. We're num- we're, even though we're number one in income inequality, we're also the lowest in carbon emissions. So they they definitely took a, a, a grab the bull by the horns on the environment stuff or whatever the case is. Hey, Rock, do you but, think Tish James is going to give a crack at the governorship anytime? Like maybe the next time? Well, she did before, but I'm more interested in Larry Sharp than running. Larry Sharp? He's with, with which party? Libertarian. Libertarian. Yeah, so he his, his thing is, so I convinced him. He was already for work at co-ops, so I didn't have to convince him about that. But I convinced him on um, public banks, and his staff convinced him on um, making New York State a citizen ballot initiative state. And I told him that should be like, that should be what you are known for. Like, Bernie 2016 was the anti-Wall Street guy, and Trump was the anti-immigration guy. Bernie 2020 was the Medicare for All guy. You know, like, when you think of some, a, a person, a candidate, you they'll have all these different things, but you'll know them for one thing. You know what I mean? So I, I told them, you should run on, like, your main thing, empowering New Yorkers. Through direct democracy, he was on. Um, Kid had him on Monday. I don't know if you know that. As a joke, you could tell them Ooh, they could name a bridge him. after you. Oh, am I still here? Does anyone hear me? Yeah, he was on kids on HLM. No, Larry Sharp. Larry Sharp was on um, Harlan's media this past Monday. Oh, I thought you said Kim. I'm sorry, I saw him on Kit's show. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, then, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's, he, you know, the top three things I'm for, he's for those top three things. Yeah, he is. That is true. Other stuff we agree or disagree on, but hey, if he passes a bad law, we can repeal it <laughs> with a veto referendum because he gave us that power. <laughs> but New York governors have, I think, I think New I think New York governors have more power in their state than other governors have in their state. 
because they gave the courts gave the governor in, in, in New York extreme like powers over the budget. I mean, I saw the way Cuomo ran this state. He didn't run it the way I would like, but he knew how to leverage power against the legislature to get what he wants. You know what I'm saying? He he even though it is the job of the legislature to place initiatives on the ballot for ratification for us to ratify, he pushed a ballot initiative. He pushed this the uh the Senate and the Assembly to place a ballot measure in 2014 that was ratified for redistricting, for an independent redistricting commission. That the like that I just told you that the legislature completely ignored and the and the courts ruled against them. And that's how like Republicans won the House or whatever the case is, because they violated the constant their own constitution. But you know. But they have tremendous power in New York State governors. It's interesting. All right, guys. Well, I think Noel was trying to chime in and then we're gonna head out. I was just, you know, going to say in closing that, you know, a part of what gives me pause is when I consider what's going on in the natural world and internationally. I just get this feeling that, you know, things are happening cataclysmically and people are so busy trying to respond. Like when I see the footage of Vermont or when I consider the the weather in Phoenix and this and that, I'm saying with these type of escalating dynamics occurring people are so preoccupied trying to survive and i know i am too it's hard to even get people to dial in in a substantive way when they finish surviving they're so busy trying to be entertained or distracted and i understand that but i just don't see how we change the course of this juggernaut you know this behemoth in time enough to save ourselves, you know, even when we think of Cornell West and what his particular run represents, it is, you know, no matter how you look at it, a long-term project. And I'm just thinking, man, do we even have the decades or decade that, you know, will allow us to, to get this these things done before we're caught up in another crisis and this and that. And, you know, in crisis mode, people just do as they're told this and that and blah, blah, blah. So that's where a lot of my um, cynicism comes from. I'm thinking we're racing against the clock and things are happening that, you know, the things that we can manage to do in terms of organization and education and mobilization, it just takes time and I just think time is the last thing we really have in terms of, you know, shifting this paradigm, especially if this Ukrainian Russo war does not come to some type of reasonable conclusion. I just see everything spinning out of control. And maybe that's just because I'm old child and blah, blah, blah. But that's, you know, that was the last thing I wanted to say. And of course, good morning. All righty. Heading out, guys. Thanks for having me as usual. Thanks so much for hanging out. My favorite place to organize and strategize my safe space. Much love to y'all. Thanks. No rule out by Ludacris. (laughs) What was that? No rollout by Ludacris tonight. Oh, because I didn't play a song. 
Roll out. Roll out. And no ludicrous tonight. <laughs> All right. Bye, guys. Thanks.